Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Pick Aside Podcast. My name is Andrew Velez. I'm here with Mr. Joel Dells and Mr. Joel Moran, although he is not in the studio. Today, we will be talking about the Pacers taking away Giannis's game ball. Draymond getting indefinitely suspended. Clippers catching fire. The Cavaliers, unfortunately, catching the injury bug. And John Morant's big return. Yes, Episode 335 of the Pick Aside podcast. As you guys know, no reveal foreign, unfortunately, today. He's getting ready for his big vacation. Long overdue. I'm, lo- I'm looking at Rib, man. No, nah, I'm not going to say it's that I'm not patience. either. It's a basketball episode. We anticipate that Rib's always going to be here. This is this is the basketball guy. We get no the Draymond suspension. Cavs go down. All of a sudden, he starts ducking. You know what's funny about that? This is definitely an anti-Rib show. I think mm. he saw the topic list, and he said, you know what? I'm straight. My hair appointment's at 7 o'clock. I got to pack a little bit. I, I'm sorry, guys. Yeah. I can't pull up. He said, I, I could make the hair appointment 3 o'clock, but do I really want to talk about this? Let me make it 7 and just be like, ah, I tried everything I could, fellas. But what you going to do? The Warriors have been shitty, and Riv- I told them about that pick. Celtics don't have it anymore, so I don't got anything to root for. But I told them that top four protected pick is going to be valuable. He who laughed it, at me. Who is the one that has that pick? Is uh, it the, the Grizzlies? Yeah, the Blazers have it the Blazers, yeah, facts, facts, facts. But before we get into the show, Mr. Moran, how are you doing today, sir? I'm doing great. I was watching a lot of basketball today. I'm excited to talk about the topics that we have in store for this show. No doubt. Specifically the Cavaliers, I feel like they're in a bit of a conundrum with what they should do next, given the injuries. This week in the NBA, I got an interesting one for you guys. And, and just to let the audience know right now, Riv cannot make it. He will be on a cruise for a week or so. Yep. In his place, John will be taking over. Yes, he sir. will be on next week's show. The reason why he wasn't on today's show is because he's sick and he's still overcoming his sickness, but he'll be back next week and we'll have him on for the show. I'm with you there, man. But let's get into it. But before we get into the first topic, which is going to be talking about that Pacers and Bucks crazy story. Let's get into our prize picks, picks of the day. As you guys know, we're sponsored by Prize Picks for the month, and we're doing a giveaway, a ticket giveaway. All you guys have to do is show us that you signed up with code PAS, and you guys are entered into the ticket giveaway that we are doing right now, a game of your choice. You got, We're going to be sending one of you guys there, of course, with, with Prize Picks. When you're signing up, use code PAS. They match up to 100%, up to $100. But, Ms. Moran, talk to me. What are your big picks of the day? Today, I got a slip in. I got three picks, $10 for $50. Brandon Miller, over two and a half three-pointers made. Brandon Miller's been playing really well. I know all the hype is on Chet and Wemby, but Miller is third in that rookie of the year race. Probably won't catch up to those guys, but he's having a phenomenal rookie season. I like that. I got Kelly Oubre, 15 and a half points and rebounds. Last night versus the Pistons, he scored 17. Tonight, he... His line was really favorable. I was like, okay, you know, I'm going to take this. Kelly Oubre still recovering from that car accident. But I got him tonight. And then Devin Booker over 39.5 PRA. I feel like D-Book can get this just in points and assists alone. So the rebounds is a cherry on top. But I got D-Book tonight. That's how I'm feeling about my picks. With with one of my picks, I'm going Victor Wembanyama points and rebounds, 33 and a half. You saw the way that he balled out against my Lakers. Really, in that fourth quarter, he was the main catalyst to why they mounted that comeback. Almost comeback, I should say. We still were able to edge it out. But... He's been he did a great job against Anthony Davis. He was able to stretch the floor, knock down some big jumpers. Of course, we know he's going to get his board. So I love that line. And then the next one's going to be Tyrese Maxey, 25 and a half points. I'm going over on that against Detroit. 
obviously you look for Embiid to, to make his presence felt, but when you're going up against Detroit, we're always going to take the over on points. One of the worst teams in the NBA, probably the worst team in the NBA. And it's it's funny because they have some talent on the squad. They just can't manage to turn it into some points. But Tyrese Maxey has been one of the sensations of the NBA. You want to talk about one of the reasons why Philadelphia has been able to stay atop the East. We're talking about top three offense, and that's because not just Joel Embiid, but of course Tyrese Maxey's resurgence, or let me not say resurgence, a certain Yeah, there you go, yeah. breakout. He's been insanely good this season. Without James Harden there, we finally get to see him as the lead guard over there. And one day we'll get you in on these picks. One of these days, man. One soon. day. Come one soon. day. But let's move on to the to the show. Of course, like we said, if you guys are signing up for prize picks for the first time, you'd co- use code PAS. And show us that you guys signed up and you guys can enter our giveaway that we're doing. But let's get on to the first topic of the show. Mr. Moran, what was your thoughts on the Pacers and Bucks situation where we see Giannis Antetokounmpo break the Bucks franchise record? 64 points in a game. And this is in a game where we're just coming off the in-season tournament. The Bucks and the Pacers matched up. We were anticipating that the Bucks would win that game, and the Pacers put on a show. Tyrese Halliburton, one of the rising stars of the league, he goes and he's on superstar notice now. He had himself a great ball game to move his team into the championship game, but now they've matched up again. The Bucks got the upper hand. Giannis Antetokounmpo was otherworldly. And then after the game, all hell breaks loose because the Pacers allegedly steal the ball because one of the rookies got his first points of his career, mm-hmm. and instead of... Get Giannis getting the ball. The Pacers gave it to their rookie. Giannis was having none of that. Mr. Moran, what was your opinion on this? How does Giannis look in your eyes? I feel like Giannis overreacted. <laughs> I mean, first of all, to end the game, the Pacers were down by a lot. And Giannis leaves the game with under three minutes left. He's at 59 points, I think yep. it is. Mm-hmm. And then they bring him back in with one minute and 30 seconds left to stat pad and get the record oh it, it got it was kind of close that in, yeah that in itself i'm just like the pacer starters are out they could have ran out the clock you bring your starters back in okay whatever that doesn't really tick me off the the way that he approached mr tyrese halliburton you better respect that man <laughs> you better, you better tone down your aggressiveness level and the pacers addressed that because they just signed james johnson so they said next time you want to point fingers and flex your big, strong muscles in front of our franchise point guard's face. We're gonna have a martial <laughs> artist in your face, ready to ready to do some do some damage. So I, I feel like Giannis overreacted. Listen, I understand he's frustrated. He scored sixty franchise record. I think the game ball should be his. But Richard Jefferson explained this perfectly on his TikTok. He said that whenever a player scores his first basket the ball always goes to that player and coaches are already looking out for that to give the ball to that said player. So that's what happened in this situation. I do think that the Bucks being at home and not securing that ball for Giannis is more on them yep. than it is really on the Pacers. If you're the Bucks, if you're working on a staff and you saw Giannis just had a historic night in your home stadium, your home arena, you have to be more on top of that in order to get the ball. I'm not going to fault the Pacers because Giannis didn't get his ball. That's on a buck staff. 
Go ahead, Dose. What's, uh, what's funny about this is the rookie, Oscar, I'm sorry, I don't know how to pronounce his last name. Uh, maybe one of you guys Shibway. do. Shibway. Uh, he actually scored a point in the in-season tournament final, but since it's that 83rd game, it doesn't count. Doesn't count. You know, so if that would have counted, we wouldn't have the situation. Um, I do think Giannis overreacted a bit, but I understand where he's coming from. You know, you just put up a historical performance. You dropped 60 points Next. first time in his career. I understand why, you know, there's some animosity there where you, I feel like something was stolen from me. And I was very surprised that... He acted as aggressive as he did to to Tyrese, and there was really no repercussion from that. Like he was pointed at him. He at first, at first, he was just pointing. <laughs> then he starts going on his chest, like really digging oh, yeah. in, kind of like almost big broing him. Like, yeah, I'm gonna do this. And I, there was a teammate there. I forgot who it was. I know Dame was there, but maybe Buddy Hield was next to him too. But I was surprised that nobody was there, kind of to Halliburton's defense. Typically, if it was another player, Tyrese, I feel like we know is kind of a level-headed type guy. He he shows emotion, but we don't really see him get as heated as some other stars. I yep. mean, just in, in that same game or, or maybe I think in that same game, he kind of got a shoulder from mm-hmm. Giannis yep. too, fell to the floor, got up, started complaining to the refs. But we've seen time and time again, when someone takes a shoulder like that, they're getting into that player's face. And oh, yeah. I understand not wanting into Giannis' face. That's a seven-foot man who's dude. built like a Greek god. So I get it. Um, But I do think Giannis, you know, I'm sure he's got another performance like this. And for that rookie, it's hard because both of the players feel like they deserve a game ball. And I understand Richard Jefferson's point makes a lot of sense for that rookie. When it first happened, I was like, I would just see who the home team is. The Bucks are the home team. Giannis gets involved. The Pacers were the home team. Then Mitch go to the rookie. Um, in actuality, the fact that we still don't really know what happened, like after the after the game, Giannis at the press conference saying, I got a ball. I don't know if it's the game ball. I just played you know 30 whatever minutes, and it doesn't feel like the ball feels like a brand new ball. <laughs> very strange situation by the NBA. I mean, I, I can't remember a single time anything like this has ever happened where there's two quote-unquote historical performances, you know, not – Scoring a point is not historical. For that player, it's historical in his journey in the NBA. Um, And there's only one game ball, obviously. So, you know, I'm sure in a couple months or so, no one's going to, you know, talk about this again. But it was funny to see Giannis kind of throw a bit of a temper tantrum, running into the tunnel, running out of the tunnel, getting into people's faces. Um, But he balled out, you know, dropping 60 points. I'd want to keep that game ball, too. (sighs) To me, it's pretty easy. Giannis Antetokounmpo just broke the franchise record. 64 points. However... You want to shake it, whether you thought that it was impressive or not. Twitter was having a field day. Let me say this. X was having a field day with the idea of, oh, run and dunk, man. Look at where he scored all of his points. Uh, Maybe that was you, too. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. Oh, no, the halfback died. I saw that. I saw that. But he scored the same way almost every single time. It was in the paint or it was at the free throw line. 64 points is 64 points, regardless of how you shake it. A lot of criticism was thrown his way in that Eastern Conference matchup versus the the Miami Heat in that Game 5 where he missed almost 50% of his free throws, and he still had 40 points on the game. He had a 40-20 and game, but because he missed his free throws, fans were still critical of him. So now in this game, he goes and he drops 64 points, and he breaks the franchise record held by Michael Redd that was in 2006. And and this is a, a, a franchise that also has had Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. So this is a, this is a, a big record, especially if I'm Giannis Antetokounmpo. To me, I want that ball. Mm -hmm. I understand that the rookie, you're right, his journey in the NBA, there's 1% of people that go and they make it to the NBA for him to go and score his first official basket. Kudos to you, absolutely. But in this one moment, yes, Milwaukee is home. And Joel, you're 100% correct. They should have done a better job of securing that basketball for Giannis. That was their job on top of it. Giannis's job is to go out there and score the basketball, and he did exactly that. Came away with the win on top of it. But you know what else this adds to? 
the in-season tournament. Mm-hmm. Because when I spoke about it and how good this was for the league, my main point was, hey, we're going to see rivalries made because of this. This is a big one. And Damian Lillard said it after that game, hey, Tyrese gave it to me, but wait, your time's going to come, and and I, I've been one to get a piece of humble pie myself, mm-hmm. and I'm okay to dish it out as and well. shout out to Tyrese for starting that. You know, That's if Tyrese true. never Facts. did the Dame, if he never did the Dame signature moment, we probably don't get kind of this hatred towards No doubt. And teams. then the next matchup, we get smoke from these two teams. Do they play again this year? Uh, that's a good question. I'm assuming so, they but obviously January 1st and January 3rd. Oh, nice! Right at the, right at the new year. But again, Giannis should he have reacted the way that he did? Maybe not running into the locker room. That's maybe a little bit yeah. much. He was sprinting, but I understand being heated. I just did something that nobody else in my franchise history has done. I can also add this to my resume as why I'm the best Milwaukee Buck Mm -hmm. to ever put on a uniform. And that's a franchise that has had a top three player all time in Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Giannis is a special player. Do I think he should have charged the locker room the way that he did? Absolutely not. But do I love that this is a rivalry that we're going to be talking about the next time they match up? This is excellent for the league, and it just adds to how much the in-season tournament is going to impact the NBA moving forward. This is a good rivalry, I guess, but it just feels very lopsided. The Pacers may have gotten the best of them in the in-season tournament, but we know if these teams match up out of 10 times and – the Bucks are highly motivated. They will likely beat the Pacers nine out of the ten times. I'm with you. The Pacers get them once, but really, there's just nothing that they have that can stop Giannis from a personnel perspective. And I think that's the major flaw in this Pacers team is that they're too small. Mm-hmm. They get out in transition, they run a lot, but when you're facing someone like Giannis, that favors his offensive play style, and it showed. I mean, the fact that they fouled him so much and he was still able to score in other ways because they couldn't foul him all the time. I mean, it didn't matter if Aaron Neesmith was on him, who was who's primary defender for most of the game. He's just too small. Aaron yeah. Neesmith is, what, 6'5"? He's just too small for Giannis, so I think that's something that the Pacers need to address is that they need to, they need to add more size and maybe James Johnson gets minutes when we see this matchup again because he's somebody that's 6'9 and could match up a little bit better, but that's the Pacers' one flaw on their team is that they just lack size and they can't hang with teams that have dominant big men. Yeah, I don't think uh, – I'm not expecting this like this rivalry to go into the playoffs because I agree with you. You know, they match up in a seven-game series. Bucks probably take care of business sure. in five games. But the fact that we're getting some just new new ones in the reach, like new, new people, because we have – I feel like Boston, Miami, we've seen that so many times. Boston, Milwaukee, we've seen that so many times where just getting some new blood in there that it, it feels like a big bro, little bro situation where yep. the Bucks have been there. They won their championship. Giannis is on top of the world, you know, stamped top three player Definitely. in the NBA. NBA right now and Tyrese is having that season where he's not of course in the top three conversation but he's trying to make his mark as a superstar in this league and if you want to make your mark you got to have signature moments and the fact that he had that signature moment in the in-season tournament um, not just the you know Dame time celebration but back-to-back games against those two top dogs in the east shooting the way he was shooting facilitating limiting the turnovers of course going back-to-back games with no turnovers it's at least something new in the NBA right where we're going to be able to see these two teams like you mentioned Joel play again January January 1st and 3rd and if they do match up in the first round if there wasn't this past history with them we'd be looking at it like oh you know that's cool you know four or five games but at least going into the playoffs there's there's a story behind it now right it's more than just like 
because in reality, this is probably a series where if this is going on and then in the East you have two other games, like say you got the Sixers uh, and the Knicks going on or something like that, where you'd be like, oh yeah, I want to watch that Sixers versus Knicks series. But now that there's some story there, there's a little bit of beef. It it does make things more interesting down the line. And it also helps that the Pacers are an ascending team. You mentioned Tyrese Halliburton. He's an ascending superstar. You know, people are trying to say he's the next superstar, big superstar because of the skill set that he has. One of the most efficient scorers in the league, one of the best passers, one of the most efficient passers on top of it. So I definitely understand this. Now, let me ask you guys this question because shout out to our guys over at the six man show. They sent this tweet out six man. They said that they were not, it was not on their bingo card that Giannis would become unlikable. Mm. Did this (laughs) moment make you like Giannis less? Now, let me not ask you because you're a Celtics fan. I know that Milwaukee's already not your favorite team. So by the transitive property, you're not the hugest Giannis fan. But Joel, did this make Gian- did this make you look at Giannis in a different light? I feel like Giannis has always had an edge to him, and I think he's a great story. And I think the NBA has done a great job marketing Giannis to the point where he is well, quite literally, his upbringing is from you know a very humbling place. Mm-hmm. So he is likable in that sense of his journey, but he has done dirty things in the past, like Giannis quite literally under the radar, is a dirty player. He injured Kyrie Irving in the 2021 playoff. Oh, stop, stop, stop. That's a reach. That is a reach. Come on. Giannis has done dirty. That is a reach, my friend. If you search up on YouTube, Giannis dirty play compilation, there will be something that pops up. Giannis is known for this. Giannis has an edge to him. Giannis is it. What you saw when he pointed at Tyrese Halliburton, that is Giannis's mindset. He is that way. There's nothing wrong with it. That's just who he is. And I feel like when it comes to Giannis, his story, very likable, but in terms of his play style and how he can sometimes play reckless and just the longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Balloon himself, or I, I would say he would just kind of shove himself into players' legs. Yeah, that's very unlikable, and Giannis does it a lot. I was hoping for a different example other than the Kyrie Irving Kyrie one. Kyrie was a bit of a reach. That was such an accident. I, I don't know if I would go and say he was tr- purposely that's trying what they to. all say. That's what they all say. I, mean, I think, you know, that also, goes like to, that also goes hand-in-hand hand with him saying, oh, the Nets were going to win the NBA championship. Giannis would never win an NBA championship. He had to win by being dirty. So, exactly. So the only way that he could do that was by taking away their second-best player. I see I see your games, Mr. Moran. You're a smart guy, but I'm smarter. I have I have a YouTube video right now that says Giannis Antetokounmpo dirty moments. It's five minutes long. Five <laughs> minutes for almost ten-year career. This is recent, though. This is only five months ago, so it's probably very recent videos. Also, yes, <laughs> if Kyrie was healthy, the Nets beat the Bucks. That's quite obvious. How long is the Draymond video? You, probably, you know what's funny? I was going to say, Draymond could have, we it, could have a whole year like of that. like a 15-minute yeah, video? I'm assuming so. I need, a, I need a, uh, you know, something to reference from. Five minutes don't see that That just long. reminds me of when Odell's dad made a uh, 13. <laughs> didn't, didn't Giannis have a dirty play against Jalen Brown in the playoffs? Um, with, uh, Remind me, remind me. In game four of the NBA playoffs. Uh, you're saying two years ago? And Giannis, and Giannis put the foot of his shoe in his face. Oh, I can't, yeah, I know. I remember that. 
I mean, this is who Giannis is. Yeah, I don't know. He has some moments. So, Joel, you're classifying Giannis dirty player. He has dirty moments. Yes, it, there's nothing wrong with that. A lot of great players are. Dirty. I gotta rewatch that. I don't really remember. Interesting. I definitely wouldn't go that far. I still think Giannis is one of the more likable players in the league. There's a reason when the All-Star game comes around that he's always the most voted guy in the Eastern Conference. I think that when it comes to just who he's been able to become in the NBA, obviously his story is fantastic. That doesn't have to do with how clean or, or dirty of a player he is. But at the same time, why he's likable is because you see where he started to where he is right now. I, I feel as if you have no choice but to root for a guy like Giannis mm-hmm. and for him to solidify himself as, at worst, like you mentioned, a top three player. To me, I, I'm not going to look at this moment where he's furious about something that I'm on his side with. Mm-hmm. I think he should have gotten the game ball. He just made history for his franchise. And I'm still here saying I don't think he should have reacted that way. However, I understand where he's coming from. So it's not going to make me feel a different way or another. It's like you look at a guy like Joel Embiid. Joel Embiid, I would classify more as a dirty player than I am Giannis. He's a flopper, I feel like, more than anything. And he does, I don't know if he, he has some dirty moments, true, but Joel Embiid, I mean, you see it all the time. I feel like this year it's been worse than ever where he's just driving into the paint. And, you know, this is a huge dude. Yeah, both of them are like enormous. Yeah, but I feel like he's, I feel like Embiid might be dirty, but in a, He's just reckless with his body type mm-hmm. of sense where if, if Embiid yeah. is just throwing his body, you're going to be falling on somebody's leg, yeah. ankle, knee, whatever the, the fact might be. Uh, the beat at that size, like 280 pounds, like you could seriously injure somebody. Sure. And I don't think I don't he think needs Embiid to do that most dirty. of the time. Embiid isn't dirty. He just flops. He injured Danny Green's ACL when they were teammates. But just doing that, you're gonna you could put yourselves and others in harm way by you know just purposely falling to the floor. He's a huge dude. I, he's way too strong to be able just to be pushed around like he shows. It's like Draymond said that he flopped, and that goes perfectly into our next conversation. Draymond said that he flopped in terms of trying to sell a call, and that's the reason why he punched Yusuf Nurkic in the face. Now we're here having the discussion. Now, because Draymond Green has been indefinitely suspended by the NBA, a.k.a. his his return is solely up to him. There are certain requirements that he has to meet before returning back to the NBA. And maybe this goes hand in hand because there are times where players try to sell too much and then in, in doing so, like you say, they end up injuring another player, whether they're on their team or the opposing team. And you look at this play, Draymond said after, hey, I was trying to sell a call. Uh, my intention was not to, to of course, hit Yusuf the way that it did. I saw the replay back. I understand how it looks, and I don't apologize often if I don't feel like I need to, but in this situation, I do apologize. Now, Mr. Moran, what's your opinion on Draymond Green's, not just his comments, but the impact on Draymond Green's absence for the Golden State Warriors moving forward? I really don't care whatever explanation Draymond has to offer regarding this situation because there's history with Draymond Green. Whether it was an accident or not, he hit Yusuf Nurkic in the face. And in this past calendar year, you know, I'll even go a little bit further back. Just dating back to last season, he punches Jordan Poole in the face. I think that moment single-handedly led to the downfall of their chemistry coming off a championship. In the playoffs, he stomped on Demontis Sabonis, and he had a hip contusion because of that play or a rib contusion because of that stomp. And he was only suspended one game. And that one game, he was suspended. The Warriors won, but... Had they lost, we're looking at that moment as the defining moment of that series and why the Kings might have won it because it did go to seven. And then this year, you know, choking out Rudy Gobert, shoving Donovan Mitchell, now hitting Yusuf Nurkic. 
I, I just think we're at a point with Draymond Green where he should have been chastised for his actions earlier. He's gotten away with a lot of dirty stuff for years now, and it feels like only now coaches and league officials are holding him accountable. I saw Steve's curse, Steve Kerr's comments on Draymond Green, and he mentioned about how that's not the same Draymond Green that we need. We don't need that Draymond for all the incidents that I just laid out that Draymond was partaking in. Yep. But where was that energy when those events happened? When Draymond choked Gobert, you know, Steve Kerr wasn't chastising him for it. You know, for all those other incidents, Steve Kerr was defending Draymond. And now this is the one breaking point that you look back at those moments, revisionist history, and you say Draymond was in the wrong for these moments. I feel like the whole organization needs to be more accountable. And whether it's been Draymond Green's reckless actions, Clay Thompson's diminished play, even though he has games where he's awesome, and Andrew Wiggins just being a shell of himself, I think the Warriors are done. And I think Steph Curry needs to make a decision with himself. It's either I'm going to the front office and I'm telling them that they need to do whatever they can to get the right team around me so I can still make a run to compete for a championship, or he needs to leave Golden State. Mm -hmm. He needs to put his foot on the gas. I think right now we place a lot of the blame on the teammates around Steph in Golden State, but we're not telling Steph, hey, maybe you need to put the, you need to, shove the front office a little bit to get them more help for you because ultimately Steph Curry is allowing this team to trot out there because of his loyalty to the players he was with. I know that a lot of comparisons have been made with Steph and LeBron and how LeBron is very demanding of his front offices. I think there's a different dynamic in play here. The dynamic is loyalty. Steph Curry feels loyalty to Clay and to Draymond, something that LeBron never had anywhere he went you know the best example of that would be Dwayne Wade and Bosch but we always knew it was going to be a short thing I think Steph Curry's battling with those emotions right now but if he wants another chance to uh, winning a championship it's not going to happen in Golden State I think Golden State is done for bad brother we talked about this uh at least the Warriors kind of their dynasty looking gloom it's been going on for over a month now we did see Steve Kerr last night make a change in lineup Andrew Wiggins goes to the bench um you know you have uh, you have Brandon come in off uh to start none of them had really great games um but talk about Draymond Green I mean seeing it was crazy uh, at first I didn't I didn't even have the game on I'm just on Twitter I see everyone going crazy I'm turning this on to see what it is and it just feels like it feels like a really a lack of self-awareness from Draymond mm -hmm. Green uh you know in the heat of the moment is one thing right when However, he wants to explain it when, you know, he's around his hip in, in the comment or in the postgame comments. He's saying that I tried to flail my arms to sell calls. You were not trying. Like that was a your All of your hips came around and you came with, with probably 90 percent of your force and smacked this man in the face. And the fact that his his comments after the game are, you know, I, I sometimes I don't apologize for this, but sometimes I apologize for that. So in this case, I apologize like. You got to have some self-awareness there, right? Uh -huh. You know the NBA is going to be stepping, especially because we saw one of the craziest plays in, in NBA history. The fact that he goes and chokes out Rudy Gobert. Like, it's not malice at the palace, but that's something that we're probably going to see once or twice in our lifetime. Someone just straight line beaming to another player and trying to choke <laughs> them out. So the fact that Draymond's kind of lacking this self-awareness, it is alarming because 
The Warriors this past offseason gave him a contract extension. They gave him the four years, $100 million, right? We were having debates, um, you know, this past offseason about what they should do with him and Clay. Gave him the money. Fine. That's cool because you're expecting Draymond to hold it down defensively. But Draymond Green this season, it feels like it's the most reckless he's been. You know, the fact that we're only in December, we're not even, we're a quarter of the way through the season, and he's already had multiple moments now, two separate instances where he's going to serve pretty lengthy suspensions and we don't really have a definite answer on what this suspension is going to be you know it's very similar to uh, the jaw situation from last year when he had to go through counseling spending mm. definitely so whatever the the end goal or whatever the end game might be i'm assuming it's a minimum of 10 games yep. suspended first the first incident five games this feels like at least double um and i'm at the point where are you even going to be able to just put Draymond Green out on the court for the rest of the season and really be able to trust him? I mean, if the Warriors season continues to go where it's going, you know, these last like 13 games or so, they only have three or four wins. They've really been struggling this last month of the season. And I feel like that's only going to make matters worse for Draymond and his emotions. In terms of kind of an uh, overview of the Warriors, I didn't feel good about them coming into the season, but I did feel like they would have enough talent, at least from Steph Curry and the piece around him to at least make the play in. Yeah. Where they sit right now, I still think they're in that conversation, right? To be one of the bottom five seeds, you really have to bottom out. But we did see we did see Clay have a good game last night, so I don't want to just you know say he hasn't been good all season. But for majority of the season, he's been disappointing. You have Draymond Green now suspended for uh, another lengthy absence. Andrew Wiggins has not really been able to get things going. So when you just have Steph Curry and there's really no one else consistently night in and night out being able to help him offensively, I don't see a very bright future for the Golden State Warriors. It feels like a bit of a stretch still, at least in my mind, because the thought of Steph Curry in a different jersey just seems ludicrous. The the fact that he might not finish his career with the Warriors does seem crazy. But the trade value for his guys, for Klay Thompson and Draymond Green, has never been lower. I mean, you would have to attach picks, in my opinion, to probably get rid of Draymond's contract. Um, Klay Thompson's on an expiring, so probably a different situation. But what team is out there like, oh yeah, Draymond, $75 million for the next three years. We need him. <laughs> it, it, the, the value just isn't there. So you're uh-huh. looking at these young pieces, Kaminga, Moody, all of these guys, that if you want to go one last run with Steph Curry, you got to do it. Um, but, you know, that's that's something they're going to have to figure out because if they're going to be, you know, around the 10th seed, the 9th seed, maybe best case scenario, the 7th seed around the trade deadline, is that enough for them to make this big push? Or will the front office need to see them play somewhat championship caliber, caliber level of games? You know, maybe 10, 15 games, Draymond's back before the trade deadline. They go on a little run, go 12 and 3 in that span. Now you feel a little bit more confident in the team. But as I said right now, it, they just feel a bit broken. The Warriors right now are the definition of an average team. They are 15th in defense. They are 16th in offense. Now, when it comes to Draymond Green and the choking out of a Rudy Gobert, I kind of gave him the benefit of the doubt. He was trying to protect his teammate. He saw a scuffle it's happening. Wild. He was trying to break it up. But he did it in the strongest he, way he possible. He didn't protect his teammate. He attacked the other team. The guy who was trying to break it up himself. <laughs> he just saw him put hands on Clay and he reacted. I kind of gave him the benefit of the doubt there. Didn't love it, but I gave him the benefit of the doubt. Here... There's no way you can defend this. He goes, does a 180, and absolutely lights up Yusuf Nurkic. He ate that. He, he fell. No, I don't he know fell. if he ate it. No, he fell, but for, for what? A punch in the face, I'd be like, right, I'm straight for the game. <laughs> no, he, I guess you could say that fine. He got hit. He fell to the floor. No, you, Draymond Green laced him. He was on the floor for a while. Yeah, no. He I, had to I, milk it. it. 
you could say he sold it. He was trying to get Draymond Green. Yeah. I think as soon as he makes contact with his face, though, he's he's yeah, ejected yeah. from the game immediately. But Draymond Green definitely needs to relax. These these consistent antics that we're seeing from Draymond Green, where we've seen them benefit the team in the past, it has been a detriment to them because he's not able to be out on the floor with his guys playing basketball. Now, you mentioned Steph Curry, the both of you. To me, I'm not looking at this as an indictment on his lack of persistence on the front office because... With him trusting the front office, it has allowed him to be in a position where he is a four-time champion. Now, it's obviously not just the front office. He has to go out there and play at the high-level basketball that we know that he's shown us for a laundry list of seasons. But at the same time, he's had Bob Myers, and he's had arguably the greatest GM of our generation in Jerry West. And the two of them have done a good enough job to put championship-level players around Steph Curry. So I understand him taking that hands-off approach because that's another thing added to his plate. Another reason why I'm so up in arms when it comes to LeBron and building all these teams and LeGM, I kind of take pride of it as a, as a fan of his because it's another job that LeBron's putting upon himself. Now Jordan, now Curry. These guys had the luxury of... A um, it is, low-key. He had the luxury of having... Jerry Krause, the greatest GM in basketball history, arguably the best GM in all of sports, to be honest with you, put together one of the greatest, if not the greatest, dynasty in sports history. And then, of course, Jerry West and Bob Myers, who came along for the ride at the end, but he still was able to put together a championship-level team in 2022. So if I'm Steph Curry, I understand... Well. Looking at it in this perspective, I understand if Steph Curry isn't going to try and be as vocal because he's had a career of not having to worry about that. But yeah, it could be that time. We can say, hey, Steph, it's that time to maybe give a little nudge, say, hey, you know, things aren't working out the way that, that they should be. I'm still in my prime. I'm still one of the best top five players in the association. You should give me a little something that I can at least go out there and compete for a play-in so that, hey, once we get into the play-in, anything can happen because I'm Steph Curry. So... Yeah, we, we, Riv's been on the show, and he's brought up the, the idea of a Pascal Siakam or an OG Ananobi. But again, like you've mentioned, and, and you, Joel, too, with the way that the supporting cast has played, their trade value is in the mud. So you can't expect to, to get one of these A-plus or, or Pascal and OG Ananobi, A-minus, B-plus type players for guys that are not playing at a, at a, at a B-minus or a C-plus. So for me, it's 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 a tough position that the Warriors are in. You understand that Steph Curry's still a great basketball player, and so long he's on the court, we expect that this should be a playoff team. But right now, they are the epitome of average. This isn't a playoff team, and they're going to miss the playoffs this year. If, if, with Draymond's indefinite you were on it. It, it seems like Draymond Green might be out for a while. Clay Thompson's inconsistent. They just benched Andrew Wiggins, by the way. They, they just benched him. This is not a playoff team. It's not. And Steph Curry, as great as he is, he can only do so much. I, I'm going to move past the comments you made about LeBron. One of LeBron's being... <laughs> one of LeBron's it's it's adding to his greatness. That's I'm great. wrong? So that's, Let that's GM, let coach. Yeah, that's, he that, does this everything. Is, this is just stereotypical LeBron fan right stop, here. Like, absolutely. Stop. Jordan didn't have to worry about it. Curry didn't have to worry about it. But let GM, he had to go into the front office and say, hey, I want this, 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 that. This is going to get me a chip. He did it in three different locations. It's special. It's one-on-one type shit. I mean, what do you want me to do? Okay. I'm wrong, Joel? No comment. You are wrong. <laughs> Steph Curry doesn't strike me as a player that will leave Golden State. I think he strikes me as a Dirk Nowitzki who he's going to ride out his entire career with one team. I think that's Steph Curry. In saying that, though, 
how much longer can Steph Curry play for the Warriors knowing that they don't have realistic championship aspirations? Because Klay Thompson is falling off. Draymond Green, you can't rely on him to be on the court. Andrew Wiggins has fell off. Like you mentioned, all of their trade values, Clay's on an expiring deal. So the Warriors have to make a decision on him, whether or not they're going to bring him back. Draymond Green has a big contract that I don't think other teams want to take on. Andrew Wiggins also has a big contract. The likelihood that the Warriors get back any players of value for these guys is unlikely. And if that's the case, I mean, is it a possibility that we're sitting here a year or two from now and Steph Curry is on the verge of retirement. Mm -hmm. We're not going to see Steph Curry play four to five more years because if you don't think he will leave Golden State and they cannot win a championship, then what is he still playing for outside of just padding his stats? Because I think it is realistic that in two years from now, we could be talking about Steph Curry retiring. It's tough to see retirement in his future when he's playing he's at this so level. Yeah. He, he's still a top five, like at worst. I mean, at worst, a top five player in the world. His efficiency is still Steph Curry-esque. He obviously effortlessly can shoot the basketball. He'll be able to do that for more than two years, no doubt about it in my mind. So I, I understand where you're coming from with the idea of, hey, if you don't think he's going to leave Golden State or he wants to retire in Golden State, then retirement may be closer than not. But when he's playing at the level that he's playing at, with the way that modern medicine has allowed these athletes to continue to play on later into their lives, I don't think it's unrealistic to see Steph Curry in a different uniform. I think they give him that that courtesy, that respect to end his career on his terms. I understand that he means more to Golden State than any other player in their franchise's history. But at the same time, you cannot, if you're Steph Curry, allow these years in your life to go wasted. Mm -hmm. Where we saw Kobe Bryant last out his last, or take on the last couple of years of his career in a situation where they weren't competing for, for anything because of the players around him. I don't know if Steph Curry wants to go out that way, understanding he's already cemented himself as, at, at the worst, a top 12 player in NBA history. In my mind, mm -hmm. I'm talking about a top 10 player of all time. So he's already cemented his legacy. He doesn't have anything else to prove. But when you can add more to your resume, when there's still someone that you can catch mm -hmm. in a Magic Johnson, in a lot of people's eyes, people feel like he can't do that. But he still has something over any other player that's ever played this game, and that's to shoot the basketball at a pace nobody else has done. Yeah, and he it's not like we don't have precedent here, right? LeBron's moved multiple times. Shaq's moved multiple times. Jordan ended his career with the Wizards. So it's not like Steph Curry would be in some way tarnishing his legacy and not trying to compare the two situations because, of course, with Steph Curry, legendary player, but it might be the best situation similar to with Dame in Portland this past year mm -hmm. where Dame's like, my heart is here. Like, I feel sure. like I gave my all to this organization. The organization feels the same way about him. Like, of course, can go down as one of the best of all time for Portland, but they wanted to rebuild. And Dame, although we want you here, you should go and compete. You know, you're in your early 30s, mid 30s. You only have, you know, a handful of years at your absolute prime left, only a couple. So why don't we find a way that you could go compete? We can get assets to build for the future because, you know, it's fun in theory to think about ways that they can make a trade, that the Warriors can make a trade for Pascal Siakam or an OG, make this move to be able to get them in contention. Yeah. But that feels, it feels still like a stretch to me. I don't know if they're going to be able to put together a package to get someone. And even if they get that someone, 
how seamlessly is this going to fit when you already have Klay Thompson, who has been way inconsistent, Andrew Wiggins, Draymond Green, is just Steph Curry and Pascal Siakam with Klay Thompson being 70, 60% of what he once was, and yep. Andrew Wiggins, I, I don't even know what percentage to put on him. He's been so terrible lately. Um, and Draymond Green, of course, with all of his issues. So I don't even think being able to go and make one move, just getting Pascal Siakam, all of a sudden you're competing for championships before again, because I'm still not putting you over the Nuggets. I'm still not putting you over the Lakers. There's still going to be teams ahead of you that in a seven game series I wouldn't trust them to beat now a team that just beat the Golden State Warriors last night who has been on one of the bigger heaters in the NBA right now we're going to talk about the Los Angeles Clippers right now they have seemingly been clicking it took a little bit of time but now James Harden has become comfortable in that point guard spot we're finally seeing Kawhi Leonard play that type of basketball that we know that he can play his last 10 games the numbers are just flat out dumb but Mr. Moran the Clippers, what is their ceiling? Count them out, man. What, what, how are you feeling now that your you Los man. Angeles Clippers, I mean, I feel like we have to call them his Los Angeles Clippers because of James Harden. Okay. How are we he's, feeling? He's fallen off of James Harden. He, no, hard, he, he, hard, he has hard, fallen hard, off hard. tremendously. And I was there. I said for, for James Harden, I say, hey, still a great player. Just came off an all-NBA caliber season. Give him the benefit of the doubt. He's still a great ball player. Don't count out the Clippers yet. There's too much firepower. But talk to me. How are we for feeling about the Clippers? Reason, for some reason, when you're critical of somebody, it all, it all of a sudden means you're not a fan of him. Yeah, I've never been critical of James Harden in terms of what he can still bring to a basketball team. He's a great player. Sure. He was last year. He's still a great player now. It's the actions. It's leaving teams. It's asking for trades. That's, that's what I don't like about James Harden, and that's frustrating. I think a lot of things are going right for the Clippers right now. First off, Kawhi Leonard has played in every game this season, 23 straight, which is the most he's played since the 2016-2017 NBA season. We're, t we're talking about six years ago. Kawhi Leonard looks the healthiest he's looked. He is playing at a very high level. I think in this win streak, he's averaging close to 28 points per game. He's really putting on a show. He's had a 30-point game. He's had a 40-point performance. And James Harden in his last six is averaging damn near 20 and 10. And last night with no Paul George, he had 15 assists. He had 28 points, and he broke the he, – he just hit the mark for 25,000 career points, which only 24 other NBA players have done in their career. So James Harden can still offer a lot to, the, to, to a team. And I think Westbrook is getting more comfortable coming off the bench. I think Zubac is playing much better on a defensive end. Um, Daniel Tice has been amazing for them off the bench. There's a lot of things going right for this team. That they are on a six-game winning streak. With that being said, I, I don't think that I'm that sold on them when we talk about a playoff outlook. Because with James Harden, it's always been the playoffs with him. That's been the storyline. In the regular season, he's amazing. In the playoffs, he's going to give you a couple games where he doesn't show up. Kawhi Leonard sustaining his health and taking that into a playoffs, that's still a question mark. So I think there's just still a lot of uncertainty around this team. They're playing great, but you know, halfway, or I should say a quarter of the way into the NBA season, I can't stamp the Clippers as contenders because I think there's a lot of great teams in the Western Conference. And frankly, I'd maybe put them as a top six team, but I wouldn't put them as a top three team. Yeah, I think uh, 
when we talk about playoffs, it still feels like that's too far away because the main thing with the Clippers year in year is going to be is going to be health, right? Let me stop you for a quick second, Mr. Moran. Who are your top three teams in the Western Conference? The Nuggets, the Lakers, and who? The Timberwolves. The Timberwolves. Okay, I apologize. Go ahead. Um, also, before we go, there's over 200 people in the chat. We only got like 20 likes. I find that a little bit disrespectful. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not going to sit here. I just can't, I just can't go on without being disrespectful. On. So if you're watching, uh, please like the stream. But let's get back here to the Clippers because, like I said, I do think in terms of playoff scenario, playoff settings, you have to be healthy, right? And that's we're not going to know that in December. And Joel's right, right? We have this sample size that's still too small to really tell what their true ceiling or their floor is. You know, we kind of have both aspects. When they when Harden first got there, they went on this losing streak. Now he's been on a six-game winning streak. So we're seeing kind of opposite ends. But Ty Lue did say, you know, you got to give us like at least 10 games, right? True. He kind of put that, that caveat out there saying that don't expect this overnight just to be able to get fixed. But I think if you are a Clippers fan or if you want reason to be hopeful, I think it's more so the defense than anything, right? When you get James Harden and you already have these stars with uh, Kawhi and Paul George, of course, Russell Westbrook, not at that standard, but still, you know, has the ball in his hand a lot. Still, you know, one of the more well-known players who wants his touches. Yep. Every, everyone mind, everyone's mind just goes to offense right away. Like, what's, how is this going to look? There's only one ball. How many assists is, is Harden going to average? Is Kawhi still going to be able to put his put up his numbers? But they've all been pretty bought in on the defensive end. You know, Definitely. we don't. Of course, James Harden, his career is not known for offense, um, but at least he has at least some size there. You know, and he's always gets like a couple steals per year too. Like he's not, um, you know, just completely unengaged. At least what I've seen so far from this Clippers team. But so far this season, they're second in half court uh, half court defense. They're sixth in net rating. They're yep. guarding the three point line, sixth in opponent three point percentage, and they've been third in blocks as well over the six game win streak. Uh, Joel mentioned it too. Zubac has been really important. Yes, you know you have the. Clippers, and they've just been known for this small ball lineup. They've known Ty Lue has always been known for going small. Even earlier in the year, I think maybe the first time they played the Nuggets, we were kind of all clowning them because they put like Marcus Morris, or I forgot who they have out there. Um, they put someone out there to to guard um, Nikola Jokic, and we're like, what, what are we doing here? Yeah. You know, like let's let's get an actual big out there. And this this past game, Jokic shot nine for thirty two. This was last mm -hmm, week they played, mm -hmm. but Jokic shot nine for thirty two, and a lot of people are just going to credit off night for Jokic. You know, it's not going to happen again. But I think Zubac did a pretty good job. Now, I'm not labeling him this Jokic stopper, but I think from what I saw, you saw his athleticism some. You saw Jokic just kind of look uncomfortable when jump shooting, kind For of sure. had to you know, change his, his jump shot, and overall did a pretty good job, or at least as good of a job you're possibly going to do on Jokic to make him feel uncomfortable and get off his spot. So I do think this kind of, um, you know, They've had this image of small ball, but I do think Zubac is going to be very important for them if they do want to make a run. I'm with because you. you have bigs like Anthony Davis, um, Gobert, and Cat, and of course, Nikola Jokic that you're going to have to deal with down the stretch. And it also helps that having James Harden there, right? The whole one ball kind of joke that everyone throws out. But I do think it's pretty important for Kawhi and Paul George because. Like Joel mentioned, 23 straight games, first time since his Spurs years, right? We're going on damn near a decade since he's, he's hit this mark. The fact that he's not so responsible on ball, I think, is is helpful. The fact that James Harden's able to run so much pick and roll, the fact that Kawhi could play off that more, and there's just not as much of a physical demand for him night in, night out. He's been phenomenal, right? You, I know you have numbers, too, to show how great Kawhi has, and he's still going to get his. But the fact that he's able to, I don't want to say take a back seat because he's been one of their best players, but at least night in, night out does not feel that type of pressure on him. Um, and then defensively, too, I think having guys like Russ, um, as well as Terrence Mann, 
being able to take on more of the difficult duties defensively to kind of give him a break on that end too because we want to see Kawhi Leonard healthy for the playoffs. Um, but the fact that he hasn't had to have any sort of load management, you know, we did see Paul George sit for the first time all season last night or two nights ago whenever the last played. But the fact that both of them have been healthy, knock on wood, you know, for, yep. this, for this long is a great sign. Of course, we're not even, you know, a quarter way through the season. There's still some time to go. But I do think the fact that Harden's there, it just overall feels like there's less pressure and weight on Kawhi. Um, and that probably has to do with some of the injury history in the past. Clippers have been on a heater six games in a row. Now, when we spoke about the Clippers the first time on this show earlier in the year, a big part of their struggles was Kawhi Leonard and his lack of aggression. Now, in the last 10 games, 27 points, 7 rebounds, 4 assists, 55% from the field, over 40% from 3 on over 5 attempts a game, and 90% from the free throw line. When he's aggressive, when he is dominating basketball games, the Clippers are one of the best teams in the NBA. Now, we've known their identity has been defense, but with the addition of James Harden, now they were supposed to take a jump in their offensive game. Now, when he first got there, it was a huge thing. Oh, they're winless without with James Harden. They haven't been able to, to find that consistency. No type of continuity has been found so far. But like you mentioned, Ty Lue said, hey, give us some time. We're a talented roster. We'll figure this out. Now, they have been healthy. Unfortunately, Paul George goes down with a groin injury. Now, that's definitely putting a damper on things. I think he's not. I don't think it's anything serious, though. Which would be huge. But again, any type of injury, especially with Paul George's history, yeah, it's, it's never something ideal. But we've seen Kawhi, health, uh, Kawhi Leonard be the healthiest that we've seen him in an in a insane amount of time. And he's playing at such a high level that, to me, it's no coincidence that the two go hand-in-hand, that the Clippers are winning games, and he's playing at this high of a level. The defense is always going to be there. You look at last night where Amir Coffey had to step in, and he was able to do a great job in, in, in Paul George's absence. Norman Powell, one of the better bench scorers in the NBA, although he's not great defensively, offensively, you know what he provides you. And then when James Harden's getting comfortable in this offense, we still know that James Harden is an all-NBA caliber player. Whether you like him or not, whether you want to make the jokes about him being out of shape, caring more about the strip club than anything else, when he's on the court, he is still one of the better point guards in the game. And the way that Ty Lue has manipulated minutes with Russ and James Harden, that to me has been great, where even last night we saw Russ and James on the court at the same time, but Russ was given some unbelievable minutes, and the energy that he plays with, it's infectious to the teammates. And the blessing that Russ has is that his team provides a good amount of spacing, so it doesn't allow him to be a negative. And when he's hitting his shots, that's also a bonus, but he gets to the bucket still great. He still is high energy on the defensive side of the ball. He still provides... Provides that and just what he means to the crowd. There was one of the moments where he goes and he swats a ball. He's going to the crowd and he's chirping. He's waving his finger. The crowd's going nuts. He's just one of those that just is infectious when he's playing like that. So I look at the Clippers. Yeah, this still is a talented team. This is one of the more talented teams in the NBA. It's all based on health with the Clippers. That's been a thing since Kawhi and Paul George both came to LA. But regardless, when these guys are healthy, they are one of the better units in the NBA, and James Harden getting comfortable. That's the last push that the Clippers needed to really assert themselves. They're only four and a half games out of the top spot. They're right yeah, now, I believe, number seven. Seed, I and two games yeah. out of the two seed. The West has it's been a, a, a constant crapshoot just for the last however many years, especially last year and this year, how close they are in the standings. But 
you cannot sleep on a healthy Clippers. They have the veteranship, they have the experience, and they have the talent. So when they're on the court together, no doubt, this is a team that we could be talking about later in the season. I think James Harden is one of the more disrespected players in terms of his long-term outlook and how (laughs) fans view him. The reason why is because I think James Harden doesn't get enough credit for how he's changed the game. You look at the influence that he's had on play styles around the NBA, and it's pretty evident. Luka Doncic is a prime example. I'd even say Jason Tatum with how much he steps back. I mean, we have to understand that. He invented the the step step back. back, back, The step back was a move that was in the NBA long before James Harden, but it became popularized by James Harden. And it became a move that people used because James Harden was so effective using it. That's what led to a lot of young players now taking that move and implementing that into their game and using it on a consistent basis. I think the drama around James Harden has allowed people to view him in a negative light. And I think you can separate the person that you may feel Harden is versus the player. I think the player is a phenomenal player. And it's something that the Clippers have needed. They've needed a point guard for a long time now, and Harden's fitting into that role. Since he's been a point guard there, since he's had to start their 11-3, at first the rust fit was odd, but as a recent, they've been playing off each other well, whether it's backdoor cuts or Harden slipping into an open side of the court and getting an open three, an assist by, assisted by Russell Westbrook. So they're playing off each other well. My thing is, is I think the Clippers are going to look awesome with Paul George out, with now James Harden taking an increased role because we know he can turn it up when he's asked to do so. For sure. And that's another luxury of having Harden is that with the injury history on the Clippers, you can now rely on a player to take it up a notch and step up and get back to his vintage self when a player is down. But the problem is always going to become when everybody's on the court because now it's taken away from certain people's game. You're going to take a statistical hit no matter what when you're playing with so many great players. I think the player that's going to take the hit is Harden. So the version of Harden that we're going to see that is ultra aggressive, that is scoring, when Paul George and Kawhi are in the lineup, he has to take a step back and he has to play make a little bit more. And in the in a playoff setting, when we talk about that, you know, Paul George is great, but he hasn't been the most reliable in the playoffs. And with Harden taking a reduced role and being in a sort of playmaking mode, I haven't seen Harden very much when he's in this playmaker mode, all of a sudden turn it on and now become an aggressive player. Usually when he's playing as a point guard, he tones it back and he lets everybody else be the primary scorers. So I think we see the best versions of these players when it's two of them. When it's three of them, it's going to take away from somebody's game. And I think the player that's going to take away from, from a scoring standpoint is James Harden. And in in the playoffs, that's always a bit of a concern (laughs) because if you can turn the Clippers into a one-on-one team, I think defenses have an advantage. And you got to credit Ty Lue for being so quick on his feet. I know we just talked about another team in California who it took them damn near two months into the season to make a change to the starting lineup. And we see, you know, how far they had fallen in the stands during that time. So credit to Ty Lue because I agreed, like, at first the Russ and James Harden being on the same court didn't really fit as well. Um, Russ, of course, shout out to him, too, for the unselfishness, being able to move to the bench, Harden taking on more of that lead point guard role because – 
I don't think in, uh, you know, they're playing 20, 30 minutes together. I don't think that's going to be the best situation. So yep. credit to both those guys too. So, Joel, let me ask you. Is your concern with the Clippers more so the health or the fact that there's too many mouths to feed? It's both. The health is always going to be a concern for them. But it's the fact that I don't know what James Harden I'm going to get. That's in the fair. Playoffs. That's fair. Mm-hmm. That's I fair. I don't know. So, so this mm-hmm. version of the Clippers that looks awesome with James Harden playing well and having awesome efficiency, that's one thing. In the playoffs when you see him offensively not being aggressive and taking plays off, that's another thing. I feel like Harden is very much a player that – with the first couple of possessions, you can tell what type of game it's going to be for him. So maybe in this new situation with Tyron Lou, he turns it up a notch. But yes, that's a huge concern. And the only player I really trust in the playoffs on the Clippers is Kawhi. Mm-hmm. Paul George had respect, a great playoff respect run. Respect Kawhi. When he led I, excuse the me, Paul George. WCF. Mm-hmm. But I'm not all the way sold on Paul George being the model of consistency in a playoff setting. You know, I think I'm in on Paul George. He had his lull in the bubble, most he's definitely. He's And he's most definitely he's bounced has bounced back. That WCF run where where Kawhi goes down, we're all counting out the Clippers, and he goes and he wins that, that series versus Utah and puts up a hell of a fight against the Suns that if one play goes the other way, and also yeah. he makes his free throw, unfortunately. That's the moment that we look at and think, ah, shit, he definitely wishes that he had that one back. He still was really good in that series. I, think, I, I trust Paul George, and I think that in this situation, let's put health aside, even though that's almost impossible to do with when it comes to the Clippers because that's their biggest question mark. Mm-hmm. But let's live in a perfect world where they're 100% healthy. I feel very confident in the Clippers for the idea that James Harden's issue on the 76ers was that he had to, to, to work off of Embiid. We had to make sure that Embiid got his, his touches, was his dominant force, but then it, he had to pick and choose his moments of when to be a scorer, and that definitely hindered his game, where the two games where he was able to beat you guys in the in the playoffs, that's where he was the number one option. He was playing at that high of a level that he was able to steal two games away from you guys. Now, in this situation with the Clippers, you have Kawhi Leonard, who Joel says he trusts the most. I'm with him. Most definitely the most trustworthy option on the, the Los Angeles Clippers. But let's say James Harden's having an off night. You have Paul George to pick up the slack yep. for you. Let's say that Paul George is having an off night. Then you have James Harden to rely on, too. The good thing with James Harden is he's going to have the ball in his hand a good amount of the times because he is the initiator of this offense. So it would be a little bit easier for him to get his. We see with Paul George, he needs the basketball in his hands to succeed. But we've seen this offense really click over these last few games with James Harden, Paul George, and Kawhi. That, again, perfect world. This trio can have success offensively, and if one player doesn't have it, th- these are—I'd go as far as say elite offensive players. Yeah. That if one of them's having an off night, these other two guys are going to be able to do a job. And we see that when James Harden is having an off shooting night, it affects other areas of his for game. Sure, where for we sure. We see him turn the ball over more defensively too. Um, when his shots not falling, he's still not the same type of player. And if he doesn't have as much responsibility of scoring the ball, he could be more focused on being that facilitator. Then he doesn't have to worry about having an off night. Because like you mentioned, if he starts the game off 0 for 3 from 3, you know, or he starts 0 for 6 from the field, you could still look at those other two guys and be like, all right, I need you guys to pick me up. Um, you know, maybe I'll play off a little bit. Maybe I could get an open look in the corner, hit a 3, and start getting my rhythm going. So maybe moving him from the second option offensively to now the third option with less of a, you know, uh, weight on the on scoring aspect, it could help him in the playoffs. 
So you think the Clippers are gonna be a top three seed in the West? No, heavens no. Top three seed. I don't, I don't even think. Know. I don't think they get past the first round. They're they're a play. They are playoff team for sure, in my opinion. Uh, top six is gonna be tough because I still got Lakers for sure. Nuggets for sure. Uh, I'd feel more comfortable about the Suns still. Uh, mm. The Timberwolves. I would. I would put over them. Do you feel more comfortable you, in the Suns or the Clippers, Joel? I like the Suns if they're fully healthy. I like the Suns. See, but that's where I, like I feel like the, both these teams have similar questions with health. But we've seen more continuity with the Clippers outside of a James Harden, who obviously is a, is a huge new addition to them. But I feel as if they have more firepower. They have more talent over there. Plus, you could argue better coaching. I like Frank Vogel, of course. Like a legend. more firepower? The Clippers, in terms of... Wow. Roster-wise, just all around, of course, you have Kevin Durant and you have Devin Booker, Bradley Beal if he's on the court. That's a great trio. The Arguably the best offensive duo in the game. Fine. But the role players, that's where I look at the Clippers. And the Clippers have great firepower in their own with Kawhi, with Paul George, with, with James Harden. And then the supporting cast on top of that who've been there for some time, Norman Powell, uh, of course, uh, Zubach as well. Amir Coffey recently has been able to to do a decent job in filling in. I mean, Russell Westbrook on top of that too, and his ability to now take to the bench and be I a mean, plus in that regard. And then you mentioned some bench players. I mean, we we talk about firepower. If you're gonna go the, with the if you're players, gonna go with so, players, if you're gonna go got. by semantics, then I'm wrong because of course firepower you automatically think offense, and that's KD and Booker. But I'm just going you know by depth because I look in depth on top of the star power that is on the Clippers. I lean the Clippers in that regard. I don't think Russell Westbrook can be relied upon in the playoffs either. He, had he played pretty playoff. well against the Suns. Yes, because he was the number one option. When Kawhi went down, he had the ball the entire time, and his usage skyrocketed. Even when Kawhi was on the great, court, he played well. He had a great, phenomenal series. I mean, that was one game with Kawhi. That, that and he played well. Time. Russell Westbrook coming off the bench, I mean, yes, he's he's the limitations he has as a shooter is detrimental to the Clippers, 100%. And I think while the Clippers may have some better bench players in theory, I really don't think it's that far of a gap because really we're talking about the the eight man rotation on the Clippers being Harden, Paul George, Kawhi, Zubats, Terrence Westbrook, Man, Norman Powell, Terrence Mann, and I'm probably missing one more who's gonna start at the four because PJ Tucker's not playing no more. He's not getting any minutes in his lineup. But really, that's like the seven to eight man rotation. I look at the Suns' seven to eight man rotation. I mean, you have KD, you have Book, you have Beal. Yes, we know that. Mm-hmm. I think Nurkic is playing really well this year. Yes, he, he's playing awesome. I think between him and Zubac, really that's a, that's at least a toss. It's a toss up. I'll like, give it to okay, you. Whatever. It's Nurkic and Zubac. It is whatever. Mm-hmm. I think Grayson Allen is just as impactful of a player as Terrence Mann. Ooh, what about Norman Powell? I think Norman Powell. He's a spark. He can score the ball, but I think between him and Eric Gordon. That's a little bit of a toss-up. Ah, uh, stop, stop. It's not the same Phoenix basketball and, player. And Eric Gordon is a better defender than Norman Powell. He's not a liability Fair. on defense. Norman Powell's not I, that good on defense. So I think in terms of the firepower or the depth in the roster just as a whole, I mean, I, I think the Suns still have a better team. And with Bradley Beal now, this is going to be a second game tonight where he's going to be healthy and the big three are going to play Huge. in the lineup. I think they're good. And – at the end of the day, it's not really the depth the depth players that, is, that gets you over the hump. It's the stars. And I think Devin Booker has taken it to another level this year as a playmaker. He can always score. But now we're talking about Devin Booker 
any other any given night he can give you 30 and 10 assists. I mean, that's how much he's elevated his game. Kevin Durant is still playing like a top Absolutely. 10 player in the world. Absolutely. Just them two, I'm taking over Kawhi and Paul George. And then when <laughs> Playoff Kawhi is crazy. Players, Playoff Kawhi is him. better than Booker still. Okay, we just seen playoff Booker drop thirty six for the playoffs. That he for did, sure. Did he not but, that? but we I mean, saw what Kawhi did against Booker. Book and KD when he outscored the both of them. Yes, he did. But Devin Booker just had a historical playoff, so we not Booker's amazing. Booker's insane. amazing for sure. The efficiency was ridiculous. And in terms of Bradley Beal and James Harden, I mean, like in theory, I guess Harden. It's is it's Harden. Not even a question. It's not. Yes, it is a question. I'm not thinking about Harden it. Is not this. But we haven't seen Beal. The clip Bradley you just Beal put up. The clip you just put up on Twitter talking about Donovan Mitchell and and Rudy Gobert. You call Donovan Mitchell the Bradley Beal of the West. So to me, I don't know if that if you're using that, that as a compliment. I don't know if you're using that as a compliment to Bradley Beal. But in that conversation, we understood that Bradley Beal hadn't been to the playoffs where Donovan Mitchell. He's been to the playoffs in the average over 30 points. James Harden, where he has his lows. At the same time, we understand that he has the capabilities when he plays to James Harden level. We saw versus the Celtics that he can beat a, beat a team as good as the Celtics on his own when he's playing at that level. Can you tell me the last time Bradley? Can you tell me what Bradley Beal averaged in the playoffs? The last time he was in the playoffs was that against the Wiz, uh, the the Seventy Sixers that year with James Harden? Oh, excuse me, with Russell Westbrook? No, no, no. Yes, with Russell Westbrook. I'm gonna assume it was twenty eight. He averaged thirty. Okay, I was close. On great efficiency. One and one series you're going off of, correct? And, Brad, and Bradley Beal. Before that, when he was playing John Wall, to, mm-hmm. to John Wall was playing well in the playoffs as well. And ultimately, I mean, you're going off of two games that Harden had in the playoffs versus the Celtics. I know James Harden can have a game where he looks amazing. The problem is, is that he has all-time stinkers. Mm-hmm. What did he, he do in Game 7? What did he do in Game 6? I trust the floor of Bradley Beal way more then I trust oh the my God. James Harden in the playoffs. I mean, we, the, the floor for James Harden is bad. It's, it's pretty low. It's damn near unplayable. It's turnovers. Unplayable is crazy. Shots. It's crazy. It's crazy. And it's this crazy. isn't just a one-year thing with Harden. Mm-hmm. It's, it's been a storyline. So that's why with Harden, it's not even a knock or disrespect. It's who he is. I mean, he had Bradley Beal, I think, turnovers game seven. It's as, not a thir- as a third option, what did Bradley Beal will shoot 40% from three. He can give you 18 to 21 a game and play very solid defense. I'm taking that over whatever inconsistency I might get from James Harden if I'm getting that steadily. And I think from Bradley Beal, I will get that. All right, we're living in a perfect world, too, so I won't bring up Bradley Beal's back. And, of course, we're looking at back-to-back games where it's seeming as if uh, we're going to see the big three play with one another. That's huge. So, of course, that's always great to see. You want to see the star power play. So let's read some super chats before we move on to this week in the NBA. First one comes from our guy, Ricky. We love you, Ricky. Uh, two videos in one day. Love to see it. Where's the Luka Doncic segment? Mm. Mr. Moran, your boy sweet. has been on some shit. He's been playing. He's been playing he said, insane. I, I mean, Shame only people that, that- Hate on Luca. Doubted he'd even be doing this this year. Who, who doubted I mean, him? Who doubted Luca? Did we doubt Luca? Did we doubt the Mavericks? Yeah. I mean, Mavericks dude, are a top four seed right now. Me, big time. You me. Mavs are a top four seed right now. Have I ever said that he's not been a top five player in the NBA? You said Jason Tatum was. I still like Jason Tatum. Did you see that block he had last night? I don't think. I don't think Luca could do that. And that's a wrong opinion to have. Luca Doncic is the better player. What he's doing, he's. 
having a phenomenal season. I think so is Jason he Tatum. Could MVP this year. So could Jason Tatum. Jason Tatum's not having as good of a season as Luka Doncic. Stop he's not having a good fiscal season because yeah, he's playing with fucking. He you 18, got a twenty yeah. point shooter, twenty <laughs> point per game guy with KP. You got JB there. You added Drew Holiday. Like you have other guys. It's it's the Luka show in Dallas. So it he, is the Luka. He's show. been doing his thing. I'm not. Nah, he's been. I'm OD. not trying before before you get up here start screaming see, at saying, me. Like Joel, you think this he's, is me? He's I'm about to go because I can see in your face Luka's been doing his thing, but he's having the better fiscal season because. I mean, he's he's the number one option. Like he's the high he's usage guy. He's having a better statistical season because he's a better player. That's why he's Tatum, Tatum is and just sharing the ball with a lot more players. Basic stats. All the advanced stats point to Luca as do. well. He's just playing better. He's been awesome. Matter. He's it, great. He's just playing better. He's been awesome. But, but if you want to say you doubted the Mavericks, I mean, yeah, I you did. did. Ultimately, I, I did. never I never screamed off the top of my lungs that the Mavericks had a you didn't. great roster top to bottom. I just said. Luca is not missing the playoffs two times in a row. All I'll say and is, last year he was the top five seed more than halfway through the season, and somehow, some way, they ago. managed to fall the, out of the like play. They're like the four seed right now. Though. They've been playing he's some good basketball. No hate aside, he's been awesome. Luca Doncic has been he's awesome. Been. I've never hated on Luca. Just the fact of, hey, you're a top five player. You're supposed to go down as one of the all time great. You gotta make the playoffs. I'm not asking for the world. I'm not saying to win the whole thing. Just make the Luke playoffs. That's hurt. it. Luca got hurt last year in the middle. Oh, of the coincidentally, got Luka hurt. Hey, hey, Luca, just take some time, but don't worry about it. Get right for next season. Let's throw this one away. We'll be okay. Respect. He that. did get hurt though. He, he did. did. He hurt. did. He did for sure. He and did. Also, and also, you know, you saying you didn't always respect Luca, man. The, what? The so why I said that he's top five. I said he's top they five. Know, know you're lying through your team. I'm not lying. I'm not lying. I still would take LeBron James because LeBron's LeBron and Jason Tatum, a two-way guy. Shout out to him. But Luka Doncic, I respect him. Respect the, o- Tatum, the other night, did I not send you a Luka Doncic clip that had me had me had me moved at like 3 a.m. Bro goes behind the back, behind nice. the defender, yeah, yeah, yeah. one hand just a wrister to to the guy from three. Did I not send you that clip and say, "Yo, all right, Luca, you got it there." I've been I've given him his praise. Don't pretend like I've just been, "Oh, Luca, you're bad. You're bad. You're not good. You're not this player. Uh, you're a glorified James Harden." Mm. I may have said that, but that's not a knock. James Harden's an all-time great. So it's a Hall of Famer. MVP. You're despicable, man. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't buy that shit. <laughs> let's let's read this. Let's read this super chat from Ricky because it also has to do with the Shout Mavs. He says Mavs got a new owner. Could see them making a splash move. Laurie or OG to the Mavs. By the way, Drew, did you like that Dante Exum masterclass? Uh, no, no, I did nuts. not. Yeah, no, I did not. And I saw last night he had like zero points. He didn't score. At all. It, it's pretty annoying that he decides to go and absolutely ball the hell out, and a majority of it comes in the fourth quarter where he just. Goes unconscious from three-point yeah. range. But, hey, tip your cap to the guy. The The Mavericks have our number right now. Being us two times this year. Not afraid to say that because it's the regular season. We know mm. what happens come playoff time. Damn. We know what, what, what guy goes into a different mode. Uh, we already saw that with a, a little in-season tournament I don't know. I don't know if the Mavs have the pieces to get a Laurie or an OG. I don't think so either. Yeah. Tim Hardaway would have to go, and he's been one of their best players this season. At least, uh, yeah. I mean, Laurie's going to be valuable. Probably a Jaden Hardy or or. or I don't know. I just don't know if they would even want to do that. I would trade Josh Green and Jaden Hardy. I would do it in a heartbeat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah but absolutely. I don't know if they would. Would they want that? Would they want yeah, that is what, what I'm asking? There's probably a better package out there. I will say this. You know, shout out to Ricky. Dante Axum. He's actually a good NBA player. He now. is. Derek Lively. He's first in field goal percentage in the NBA. He's only 19 years old. And of course, most of that is Luka just spoon-feeding <laughs> him baskets. <laughs> 
But Derek Lively is a game changer. And I remember some guys, I don't know who they were, being a little bit hesitant on is Lively going to make an impact? But don't count out my guy, man. He's making a big Is impact. a rookie going to come in and immediately be an impact player, a top three impactful player for the Mavericks? Sure. I think that spoke more volumes to the needs and just the, it was. the desperate moves hey, that they needed to make Lively, for the Mavericks. Derek Lively, he's a dog. He's a dog. You thought Scoot would start over Anthony and, and, Hey, and Scoot's so been hooping lately. Yeah, and you you been, you, you, you opened your mouth piece. a little bit too soon on Scoot. Respect him. Respect him because he's been balling out recently. He's come is back he from injury. And he's been, is he better than Anthony Simons? No. I've never said he, he was better than Anthony Simons. I just said he would come off the bench and he would be sixth man of the year immediately. Yeah, you told me that Scoot was... I honestly would have rathered Scoot... Uh, excuse me. I would have rathered Anthony Simons come off the bench and get an award because he deserves one because he's such a good player. It's not a knock to be a six-man. Lou so Will could be a Hall of Famer because of his six-man. So you'd bench the five-year pro over Legend. a rookie. Just so he can get an award. Joel, just so he can get an award. I'm looking add out to, for Anthony. Add to his resume. That's know? all young young career. One of the best contracts in the NBA. Most unselfish player. Gets the contract. Doesn't mind giving it to the rookie. Amen. Moving to the six-man. That's it. That's that. it. Just for his that. growth and his development as a whole. That's just speaking to how great of a professional Anthony Simons is. Absolutely. Joel, did you not see that vision? Clearly not. Come on, Joel. You're better than that. You're better than that. Uh, next one comes from Sad Nil. He says, Nas Reed. Facts. South Jersey. Nas Reed oh, yeah. is, a, he is a very good role he's, player. Yeah, one of the better role big. players in the league. Uh, Tanner Lawson says, I will buy some respect. Hey, shout out to Tanner, man. Listen, Tanner Merry Christmas. Happy Merry holidays. Christmas. Don't know what you are. Happy Hanukkah. I know it's the last night of Hanukkah. Happy Hanukkah. We appreciate the donation. And pick a side meme. Should I change Dell's pick with the Browns in the Jags game to an L? Yes. Yes, you should. Santos. It's a Mickey Mouse Santos, W. Santos, what are we doing? Santos, I knew you were a man of the people. Well, I Santos, never doubted Santos, you. Santos, you can't give me the win. And then a week later, the game has been finalized. The Jared Goff fumble happened. Minus two points. Fan. Everything's finalized. It's Friday. Uh, listen, I'm going to leave it up to Santos. Santos has a lot more say than what you think. If he That's says it's an L, I said, I said Santos says a W. That's why I was wrong. He did, with it. but then he had to think about it for for a few moments. All right, I'm fine with it. Joel, are you fine with it? I'm assuming yes. Listen, of course I'm fine with it. It only gives him a two game lead. Yeah, three was Mickey Mouse. Three was Mickey Mouse. Stop playing. You're chatting shit. Disgusting. All right, Mister Moran, talk to me. What's your this week in the NBA? My this week in the NBA, I got two things. First of first of them is uh. Kobe White, last seven games. That's unfortunate. As Zach Levine is, you know, he's actually a don't a do that. Minus, Stop. Negative of a don't do that. Kobe White, twenty six point one points per game, six point seven assists, six point one rebounds on 50, 50, 79 splits. The Bulls are five and two. They beat the Bucks, the Pels, the Heat. Some great wins, and then they beat the Hornets and the Spurs too. You know, not so great wins, but for the Bulls, you take them all the time. Kobe White is blossoming into a damn good player, and I think this is coming at the perfect time for Bulls fans because Bulls fans who have been in misery for the last two seasons because they've been begging their front office to tank. They've been begging for their team to move on from an agent Vucevic and an agent DeRozan and Zach Levine even at this point. They don't want him. Now they have something to root for. Kobe White, a young player who can be a building block for the future this is some hope in chicago but i think it also speaks to that maybe the bulls aren't as bad of a team as we think 
they just had a disgruntled star who was given half-ass effort out there. Mm, he was. And finally, when a player takes his place and he's doing his thing, they Get start to win games. I don't think it's a coincidence. And if I was a team around the league, I'm looking at this situation and saying, I don't want Zach anywhere near my team. Mm -hmm. It's seeming like that's a bad vibe player. But shout out to Kobe White because Kobe White is playing phenomenal. My this week in the NBA, it was actually going to be about Kobe White. Shout out to Kobe. Um, But I'll pivot here. We just got news in the last, I don't know, 24 hours or so about Lori Marketing. The fact that the Utah Jazz might be open to moving him. Now, I'm going on. Utah Jazz Reddit. I got six trade proposals. Okay. Here. Shout out to Utah Jazz Reddit. <laughs> so let's go through each of these. Maybe we have a favorite. Maybe one's terrible. Let's go through them all. all right. So the first trade partner is going to be the Detroit Pistons. The Utah Jazz would receive Jaden Ivey, James Wiseman, and two first round picks. Uh, it uh, is, Does a move like that make sense for the 2028 Pistons? 2028 unprotected. 2030 top four unprotected. Uh, I think for the Pistons, it makes sense because you need more space than around. Kate he de- he definitely do. Lori Markin is, is perfect for that. Well, let's see. He signed a four-year contract. Right. Shout out to Brutus583. Yeah. Uh, right. he, he signed until 25. Right. Okay. Um, yeah, I would make this move. Okay. Trey 2. This is with the Golden State Warriors. The Jazz would receive Gary Payton, Kaminga, Brandon, two first-round picks in 2026 Lord. and 2028. And three pick swaps, 2025, 2027, and 2029. They're taking an arm and a leg from the Warriors and just kind of giving them to the Pistons. Uh, I feel like if you're the Warriors, I still would make this move. Mm. I understand Kaminga's a young player. AirPod has been giving them some good minutes so far in his rookie campaign. Uh, Laurie is definitely a better player. Giving a lot in terms of draft picks. Five picks. Yeah, that's crazy. Plus three or two young players. He is signed until 25. So, ah. I'm going to say next year, pretty much two years. You get the yeah. rest of this year, next after year next after that. Season. And the, yeah, after you're right after the, you're hundred percent right. Well, he's, let's see, what does this say? What is part? Oh yeah. Partial guaranteed. So in 24, 25, he signed on for next year as well. He's an unrestricted free agent in 25. So you get two years, well, a year and a half from him. If I'm the jazz, I'm not doing this. This is a lot of picks but the young players aren't intriguing enough for me. I don't, I don't know how much star upside they have. I think Kaminga is a better idea than a player at this point. AirPods has shown some things, but I think I could get a better offer. I'm saying no. If I'm Five not. picks is a ton. It is, a ton. It is. We know Danny Ainge loves his picks. Um, but moving on to the third trade partner, the Indiana, the Indiana Pacers. The Jazz would receive Benedict Matherin, TJ McConnell, and Jairus Walker. No draft picks. Mm, we haven't seen any of Jairus. Uh, Benedict would hurt. I still think you would do this. He fits what they want to do. They, they're a great offensive team. Uh, he doesn't need the basketball in his hands to succeed. And with Tyrese Halliburton assisting him, he'll be just as effective as he is over there in Utah. This is a great move for Indiana. If you're Utah, you do this. If you're Indiana, you don't. You just drafted Jairus Walker. You just, you just gave up on him. And Benedict Matherin, I still think, has a lot of upside. I, I'm keeping... Laurie's, an, Laurie's an all-star. He is, yeah. He would come Laurie's in. That would, Laurie can give you 24-25 a game. That, that's a player that you're going to have to pay in a year and a half. A year and a half is a good amount of time. And no picks? How many? They're not really paying anybody. Uh, no picks. No, uh, this and is an easy yes. This is an easy yes. If I'm the Pacers, I don't know if I'm doing this right now. I'm, I, I want to keep Matherin. I'm, I'm I like Matherin. It's going to be long-term. So I'm not going to do this. So we have a few more. The Pelicans are up next. 
Okay. They would give up Dyson Daniels, okay. Jordan Hawkins, CJ McCollum, three first round picks, 2024 from the Pelicans, 2024 from the Lakers, and 2027 from the Bucks. That Lakers pick's not going to be good. Um, we're going to win the championship. Now, uh, if you're the Jazz. I, I don't know why the Jazz really do this. I, I think don't know. Hawkins is a good shooter. I think Dyson Daniels is solid. But where's the upside? CJ McCollum's an aging guy. You're probably going to have to flip him. If you're the Pelicans, who's your point guard? Mm. <laughs> I don't know. This I would say no to this straight all around. Yeah, the Pelicans are in a position where they need to make a move for a point guard as opposed to making a trade for a wing. They already have some two. They have two solid wings, Herb Jones and Trey Murphy. To me, no, I don't think this this trade makes sense for the Pelicans. So or the or the or the Jazz either as well. Next up is the Sixers. They would give a Marcus Morris and four first round picks. Twenty twenty six worst of four picks they have with OKC Houston, uh, Clippers and themselves. I'm assuming mm-hmm. uh, Clippers pick in twenty twenty eight. Clippers right to swap in twenty twenty nine and Phillies pick in twenty thirty. I'm not doing it. If I'm if I'm a Jazz, I could get something better for I'm sure. Not doing it. I agree. Okay, last one is with the Kings. This one's interesting. You're giving up Keegan Murray. Davion Mitchell, Chris Duarte, and two first-round picks, 2028 and 2030. If I'm the Kings, I'm not doing it. I like Keegan. Uh, you're a I big like Keegan, Keegan guy. Upside. I get it. And Keegan, very quietly, has been one of the best defenders at the wing position this year, and he can shoot 40% from three. He can. I'm not giving up on Keegan so early, so I'm not going to do this on the Kings. I'm with you well here. Keegan Murray's definitely a young piece that if I'm the Kings, I'm trying to hold on to and make a part of my future. The Kings are trending in the right direction as is. I don't know if giving up Keegan would be the smart move. So did any of these make sense? Pistons won getting Ivy, Wiseman, and Picks. Yeah, I think that makes sense. For the Jazz, I mean, Wiseman is just a throwaway Agreed. player. Agreed, yeah. He's not a good NBA player. Ivy and two picks. Jaden Ivy is the only one that has upside, but you have Keontae George yep. there. I-, I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't do that trade, no. So if I'm the Jazz, I don't do that trade. Did any of these make sense? How many? Two first. Uh, the Warriors. The Warriors one. They're getting. AirPods, they're getting picks. a haul. Five the first round picks is nuts. Matherin, Walker, McConnell, the Pels one, Dyson Daniels. I really like the Pacers. I really understand if you're the Jazz getting five first or three. Was it three first and two swaps or three mm-hmm. other way around, whichever you want to shake yeah, it. Yeah. Getting those amount of picks is crazy. They are charging the Warriors a little bit more because their players aren't. Or they haven't broken out yet. But with the Pacers, I understand I understand Benedict's a young player and Jarris Walker you just drafted and you really haven't even gotten a chance to see. But with the Pacers, it would be a perfect plug and play with, with Laurie Marketing right next to Tyrese Halliburton. It fits his play style almost perfectly. The best two trades are the Pacers and the Warriors. I'm surprised there's no OKC trade on here. Where's OKC? Because I think OKC has the best chance to get Laurie Marketing. And if I was Sam Presti, I would give the Jazz as many picks as they want. And I'll send them Josh Giddy to keep up that routine of Jazz oh, players God. who do some nasty things because they've He's had one nuts. historically. He's so nuts. I'll do that too. He's nuts. Listen, I, I'm sending all the picks there to Utah, though. And maybe I send them Isaiah Joe or something as well. But, yeah, if you're Sam Presti, OKC is a top three team in the West right now from a standings perspective. This is the team – that th- you already have an all-NBA player in SGA. He's a superstar. You need to go, go all-in, and I think Lori is one of those moves that you need to go all-in for. My this week in the NBA, it's still this week, sir. It's been uh, almost a week's time. I wanted to talk about this as a real topic. Did you? I bet you didn't, for the fact that you guys were first-round losers. And I can't relate to that, because my team won the in-season tournament championship, the inaugural season of the in-season tournament championship, my GOAT goes 7-0 on this run. He goes and he averages over 26 points per game. 
eight rebounds, eight assists. The efficiency was just flat out stupid. 57% from the field, 60% from three. And they said he's not that great of a jump shooter. Mm. 60% he's some shit now. He's been on some shit this year. Not, he's been on some shit. <laughs> and now, of course, he has him, his, his legacy. He's now he's five and six in the finals steroids. games. He is now a five-time MVP. I mean, this guy just keeps adding to what's already the greatest resume in the history of basketball, the greatest basketball player we're ever going to see. And, of course, he had to set the tone, make the in-season tournament mean something. On my birthday, we're going to be raising our in-season tournament championship banner. I can't wait. People are hating on us raising a banner. We only raise championship banners. You think the NBA, because I feel like the first report was the Lakers aren't going to do it. Do you think the NBA was like, you got to do this? Like, I we hope want we this do. To, we want this to feel important. It, listen, LeBron. Because it would set a bad precedent if the first team doesn't I, hang a banner that no one's going to do I agree. It. Listen, the way that LeBron treated this in-season tournament, you it actually meant something. Yeah. And now we're trying to keep that same energy for seasons going forward. I think you're 100% right. Putting the banner in the in the stands definitely, in the rafters, definitely would mean more to what the in-season tournament's all about. And, of course, now that LeBron James has won the first inaugural ever uh, in-season tournament championship, people are going to be trying to, to say it means something because it 100% does. It 100% does. I, I most definitely will be. <laughs> but let's move on to the next topic of the show. Let's talk about John Morant. And his 25-game suspension going to be up relatively soon. Now, Mr. Moran, you've had some strong stances on the Memphis Grizzlies saying even when John Morant comes back, this is not a playoff team. So far, you've looked near genius. They have been one of the worst teams in the Western Conference. We've seen two players for them play at a relatively high level. Desmond Bain, more importantly, for the fact that Jaron Jackson's only come on as of recent. However... Memphis Grizzlies with John Morant coming back. Will they recover and make the playoffs, yes or no? If somebody told me right now, this day, this instant, make a bet, are you picking the Warriors or the Grizzlies to make the playoffs? I'd go with the Grizzlies. Damn. I would go with them. They're 6-17 and 17 right now. By the time Jock comes back, they're likely going to be 8-17, and 7-18, or 6-19, and 19, probably 7-18. and 18. Desmond Bain's averaging 25 a game. That's my goal. Great split. Jaron Jackson's averaging 22-6. and six. He just had back-to-back 40-point games. I think if you're a Grizzlies fan, you have to feel very optimistic with how your two best players that are currently playing are playing and adding John Morant to the mix because a lot of the games that they've lost have been competitive losses, and you can argue John Morant is the difference in winning those basketball games. So I think with John Moran, I look at their next 10 games. They face the Pelicans. I think they can win that. They face the Pacers. They can win. They face the Hawks. They can win. They face the Pelicans again. I think they'll split, so they'll lose that one. They face the Nuggets. I think they lose. They face the Clippers. I think that can go either way, but I'll say that's a loss right now. You face the Kings. I think they can beat the Kings. Then the Spurs and Raptors and then Lakers. So I think just go the whole season (laughs) while you're at it. Just go the whole season. His next 10 games. I think you can go <laughs> six and four in the next 10 games when John Morant comes back. If they go six and four, that's about a 13 and 22 record. Still have to make up some ground, but I think it's very possible that they can. And they can be one of those teams that post all star break can go on a run. It does hurt losing Steven Adams for the season. But I think the Grizzlies can make up enough ground with John Morant in the lineup and giving you 27-7 and seven a night. 
to be a playing team in the West mm. because the Warriors are falling off. Uh, the Spurs are not as good as I thought they would be. They're actually a bottom dweller. They don't win games at all. They're clapping us I by think 20. the Rockets are competitive, <laughs> but I think the Rockets are one of those teams that they kind of were ahead of schedule early on, and they might drop off a little bit. They're on a four-game so heater. They are, I think, but if you're the Grizzlies, I, I would feel very good about John Morant's return, and hopefully this team just stays healthy because they need John Morant to come back and they and then stay healthy for the season, and they need Jaron to continue to be healthy. But I think, yeah, you know, best case scenario, the Grizzlies can be in that playing contention. And I think right now, it, listen, the Grizzlies are He's generational at what he does. I, Joel, so are we are we going to amend the preseason rankings? Because you're talking this whole time. All I'm thinking is preseason, you had them 10th seed, 11th seed. Did you even have them making the play? No, he, 11. 11th seed. So are you going to make – they're 6 and 17 right now. Up till this point – you look like a genius. And he right? was they loud about it. Every single day when they were, whatever, 0-6, 0-7, was it the, the bottom oh, two yeah, no. team? The, the Grizzlies the are now 0-6. Yeah. The Grizzlies are now 0-7. Just every single day, 6-7, and seven, so it's not like they made up this insane ground and there are a couple games no. under 500. they They're still pretty comfortably, you know, 11 games. Are you going to make an amendment? Or are they going to make the play-in now? I already took my W because the main argument for why the Grizzlies wouldn't be bad is that they win games without John Moran. And very clearly, we've seen without John Moran, they have lost a ton of games. John Moran is the difference in a lot of these games. And yeah, they can go on a winning streak. I look at the West right now and, okay, what team is going to drop off? I don't think Minnesota is dropping off. No. I don't think Denver's dropping off. No. I think OKC is not dropping no. off. I don't think Dallas. Maybe. Who knows? Hurt, Who knows? We've seen it happen. That's a disrespect. That's a disrespect. <laughs> I don't think the Kings are dropping off. The Air I don't. Fox is playing at MVP level. For sure. The Lakers, I don't think they're dropping no off. No way. The Clippers, they're only getting better. Agreed. You look at 8, 9, 10. The Suns are 10. Pelicans, 9. 8 is the Rockets. I think the team that you can expect to drop off there is probably the Rockets, right? So, you know, and then outside of the plan, you have the Warriors at 11, and then the Jazz at 12, and the Grizzlies are just behind the Jazz. Yes, I think they can be better than the Warriors. It's still possible they can be an 11 seed. Don't get me wrong. I don't think this team is going to all of a sudden jump and be a top six playoff lock in the West, but they'll be fighting for that playing spot. And if it comes down between them and the Pelicans or them and the Warriors, you know, you can make an argument for the Grizzlies to overtake that spot. Yeah, I think playing is realistic. I don't remember where I had them preseason. My guess would probably be around that seven or eight seed. I had them high. Um, because, yeah, John Moran, of course, being out 25 games, you're losing your best player. But I don't think we were expecting all the injuries, the other injuries to pile on. You trade for Marcus Smart. He's been out for about a month now at this point. He's still a few weeks away um, from recovering or at least coming back. He did play in some five-on-five -five drills, so maybe a bit closer than weeks away. But, of course, Steven Adams. I think that's the biggest one, you know, losing him Most for definitely. the season. You still have Brandon Clark from last season coming off that Achilles injury. Luke Kennard has been banged up, too. Um, he might be playing this next game on the 18th. But, overall, they've had a ton of injuries. Sorry about that, bro. That? It's my cap. Don't um, worry about it. They've had a ton of injuries, but I do think when you look at on the season, kind of the team they've been, they've actually been def decent defensively, 12th in defensive rating. Um, but really where they've struggled, to nobody's surprise, has been on, on offense, right? Yeah. When you don't have John Morant and then... 
basically the person you traded for because you traded away uh, Tyus Jones as well, Marcus Smart, is out. Now you really are lacking any sort of shot-making, playmaking from this unit. And that's where we've seen Desmond Bain be able to take a step up, averaging 25. But their shooting's been really bad. They're 20th in makes, 23 in percentage. They're 29th in offensive rating. If you have a stat that's worse than Detroit Pistons, you know you have some <laughs> issues. I think it's only the Spurs that have a worse offensive rating than them. So you can see the struggle while defensively losing guys like Steven Adams and Marcus Smart is going to be huge in the long run. They've been able to do at least a decent job with those two guys out and being a respectable defensive unit. But getting John Morant back, he's just going to have so much more uh, capabilities on the offensive end that's going to put pressure on the defense, that's going to give more shooters looks, um, more lob opportunities to big men because he puts so much pressure on the rim and just overall his gravity on the basketball court. So I don't think that this top six type of uh, lock that, you know, if Ja wasn't suspended, we probably have them as. Um, but I also don't think that they'll fall out of the play. And I do think having Ja back, um, they'll be able to get back into that conversation. But it feels like with all the injuries that are piling up, Marcus Smart was dealing with the, uh, a similar, I don't know if it was, I don't know exactly his injury. I know it's a foot injury right now, but he also had kind of a foot ankle issue with the Celtics last year. And of course he's, you know, entering his early thirties too. Um, so just the fact that it's more than John Morant now, right? If it was Jaws coming back and everyone's a hundred percent, I think the outlook could be a bit more positive, but the fact that you're losing Steven Adams and of course, smart coming back, Brandon Clark, all of these guys, I don't think we were expecting that. So you do have to lower expectations a bit. Can they make the plan? It's definitely in the realm of possibility because of what we've seen John Morant and the Grizzlies do when John Morant's on the court. Of course, he's a ceiling raiser. That's what he does. Or floor raiser, I guess, is the word I'm looking for. He's going to go to the Grizzlies and immediately impact their offensive game. And like you've already mentioned, a laundry list of stats proving that they're not that great of an offense. Desmond Bain, who I've, I've consistently said, I think he's the number two scoring option for the Memphis Grizzlies. He's been their leading scorer, averaging almost 25 points per game. Solid efficiency on top of it. But the guy who I wanted more from was Jaron Jackson. I still want more from him in terms of being an aggressive rebounder. I don't know if that will ever be the case. But in these last five games, offensively, he's been insane. Averaging almost 35 points per game in this stretch. 56% from the field. 48% from three. Now, we know that that three-point percentage is not going to stay what that is. He's just been catching a nice bit of hot streak here. But offensively, this is going to be great for John Moran and his return because at least his number two in Jaron Jackson has been trending in the right direction. So with Ja coming back, they still do have that presence at big man missing. No Steven Adams, no Brandon Clark. That's definitely going to hurt him in the long run. But let's say the Grizzlies start to get hot. And when we're approaching the trade deadline, they're a near 500 record. Let's say they're just five games under 500. Best case scenario going into the trade deadline. Wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility to go see them and, and make a, a trade for a big. They did give up some picks this offseason, though, to go get Marcus Smart. And-, and and I think that Marcus, who is out with the foot injury, been out since mid-November, was out in that time period, three to five weeks. He'll get back. They'll have that veteranship in the locker room also. I still like what Marcus Smart provides on the defensive side of the ball. Just not the, the greatest of playmakers, but obviously can do that on top of shooting the basketball. Jaron Jackson, excuse me, John Moran's going to go in there, and he's automatically going to make the, the Grizzlies at least 
fun to watch and, and make it feel as if the Grizzlies can play meaningful basketball just because John Morant is a box office player. He's too athletic. He's one of the most exciting players to watch on a basketball court. So most definitely, uh, Joel, I'm, I'm, I'm siding with you here. The Rockets are one of those teams that right now, they're number two in defensive rating. Offensively, rank 22. That's where their issues come from. But we've seen in this four-game win streak, they have been the Nuggets and not not that uh, uh, and many other great teams honestly i think they also beat the spurs in that in that time period as well so when you beat the nuggets automatically they they give you respect beat, beat okc in this win streak as well but the rockets it, it maybe it's just for what history has shown me with them with why i feel what well, i'm not i, I don't doubt the, that I either they got their, i think they have one road win but when you are elite at defense it allows your offensive game to not be where it matters most definitely. If you are an elite defense, it definitely masks a, a relatively bad offense. With the Lakers, we're in a similar boat. Right now, we're a top-seven defense, and we're, our offense, I believe, is around the same range as the Rockets, but because also we have the star power in an Anthony Davis and LeBron James, we're, we're able to close out games better than a good portion of the rest of the league. Our defense has been the crux of, of well, the cornerstone, I should say, of our team, where the Rockets simply don't have that, that consistent star power Although Shangun is a rising star, you bring in Fred. Dylan Brooks has done a great job in in, in coming in and, and filling his role. Jabari Smith has sort of kind of broken out over these last couple of games. Tari is some solid role player as well. We're going to get a, a men back into the lineup. Uh, that, that'll be a, a nice boost he for them off back, the bench. Then you have another injury, I think he's right? still in the G League or something like that that he's working he played, through. He played in the other day, but I feel like I saw something that he might have hurt. So if there is a team... I would lean with the Rockets just because they don't have that experience. The Pelicans, we see Zion and B.I. playing some solid ball. They called Zion fat, and he goes, and he drops a nice 30-piece. I mean, Zion, obviously, we know when he's playing with effort. We he's sick. Oh, he's sick right now? Yeah, illness? He played okay, one game and then missed the last two with the So it's going to be a tough road ahead for them, no doubt about it. But I think that it can get done because I believe in the talent of a John Moran, and I believe that as a co-star— Desmond Bain's one of the better twos, and then Jaron Jackson on top of it too, where now he doesn't have to be as much in part of the offense, although it would be a positive for them, can go back to, to being the defensive anchor and that be his primary role where mm -hmm. we know he can have success in. Yeah. Absolutely, man. This is, uh, is Joel gone? Joel? I was going to say, he just, he just got on out of here. Oh, here he is. No, I'm still here. Welcome back, my brother. I was listening to you, Drew. Oh. You said, I like to listen to podcasts, not be part of it. All right. Anything to say um, <laughs> regarding the Grizzlies and potentially the Pelicans? Do you think the Pelicans are one of those teams that will stay in the plan? It just depends on their health, really. I think Zion, we don't know how – if he's going to stay healthy the entire season. Brendan Ingram is also a guy that tends to get injured. So I think that's a concern with the Pelicans. The teams that I'm looking to be out of the plan – it's either the Rockets or the Pelicans, and that's a spot that the Grizzlies can take. Mm -hmm. But I think that it's not the worst thing in the world if the Memphis Grizzlies fall out and get a top pick in the draft because I've been saying pull Mavericks. they need, yes, pull a Mavericks because they need another blue chip prospect on this team. But if it was between you guys and you guys are deciding this right now, if you were to make a definitive statement right now and choose between the Grizzlies making a plan or the Warriors making a plan? Who would you go with? I'm still taking the Warriors. 
I still, I'm still trusting with Steph Curry there. I know Draymond, who knows how long he's going to be out for the issues with Clay, and they have not been playing well recently. Um, but I just I don't know if I could take the Grizzlies with their issues. Even when John Moran is back, this is not going to be, in my opinion, a good basketball team. right? I still think they're probably playing around 500 basketball. Um, I don't see them as going on this run and you know securing a top six, top seven seed in the West. Hmm. Do you think the Warriors are going to be that high though? Because no. the Warriors could be the ninth, or they could be the tenth seed. I don't trust. I don't like the Warriors either. I um, don't want to take the cop out answer and just say it's Steph Curry. He shouldn't miss the play in. He shouldn't. He shouldn't. That's mm-hmm. the simple answer. He shouldn't. Hmm. I'll go with the experience. I'll go with paying respect to Steph Curry and the Golden State Warriors, but definitely close. And you're not crazy for saying that you are, are going to pick the Grizzlies. I understand where you're coming from. They're just going to be playing with a lot more energy than what we're seeing over there in Golden State where they just lost their heart and soul. Well, I guess if you want to call Steph the heart and soul, that's fine too. But you understand what I mean. On the defensive side of the ball, that is the heart and soul of the team and Draymond Green, and who knows when he's going to come back. We understand that his impact is not just on the defensive side of the ball. Offensively, he actually was an efficient shooter shooter for the Golden State Warriors this year. So that's definitely a loss for them and the playmaking on top of that. So I... I'm still going to go Warriors, but I understand where you're coming from if you lean Grizzlies. Neither of why them are should, very encouraging. Why should the Grizzlies be a bad team once Ja comes back? Desmond they don't have Bain a big. Playing like an all-star, right? You know, Jaron Jackson is a depoy. John Morant's an all-NBA player. This is basically three all-stars on a team, and we're just saying they're going to be bad. I don't it's think bad. Piece, I just think around yeah. 500 basketball. I don't think they'll be bad. I think they have a chance of making the plan for sure. But I say that with the idea that they don't have a big. That was a huge reason why they were upset in the first round versus the Lakers. They yeah, obviously they don't have a big. Bismack Biombo no, is, no, is he's is, playing. He's he's quite literally filled the role of a rebounder. For no, no, no doubt he definitely is able to do a job. But Bismack Biombo very limited. Xavier Tillman, who's limited. been in and out, also. It's just the lack of depth on top of it. I need Jaron to be aggressive on the boards. It's a chance for him to step up. Steven Adams isn't there. Like, now this is your responsibility that we know how great you he can hasn't be done as a it. protector. We know you can switch out on some other guys too, but let's get some boards, man. You're damn near seven foot. You, there's no reason you shouldn't be averaging 10 rebounds a game. It's like when they were going up against the Timberwolves a little bit earlier in the, in the week last week. I had no doubt in my mind that Rudy Gobert was going to dominate the glass. Yeah. Carl Anthony Towns. It's, he only had four like boards in that game. Like no, defense yeah. is a mindset. And obviously, he's one of the better defenders in the league. You don't win defensive player of the year for no reason. He, he is a, an elite defender. But rebounding is a huge part of the defensive side of the ball. And when you are an aggressive you can get the boards and start moving in transition. Yeah. That's where we've seen the, the Grizzlies in the past, mostly because of a John Morant, mm-hmm. them play with such a pace and a tempo getting out in transition is because you go and you get these boards, you outlet to a John Moran, he goes and he gets his. That's where Ja can, excuse me, a Jaron can also make his impact felt and us respect him more so than what we already do, who he is a defensive player of the year. He is an all-star caliber player. But when you're lazy on the boards per se, it, it's it's obviously a negative impact on your team when the guys who usually do that job for you are out. It needs to be on you, who has been the all-star, who has the, the accolades behind him as well, that needs to put his fir- his best foot forward to make it a priority of his. And he hasn't up until this point. Yeah, I mean, 6-17, and 17, this was probably still on the lower end, I think, of what we were expecting. Yeah. You know, 
I guess credit for not being two and twenty-one or whatever, True. but at six and seventeen, I am expecting a little bit more from Bain and and Jaren Jackson. And they've lost some close games. They've lost yeah, they, games by by single-digit points. It's one of those that are right in reach, but a John Morant level player can go and they can end it and, and end up stealing some of those games. So the Grizzly season is definitely not over. It's actually just beginning, in my opinion. Now that that Jaw's back, the season's actually starting for them. Bit of a hole, but not a crazy hole. No, no, it definitely could have been worse. But let's move on to our next topic. The unfortunate situation of the Cleveland Cavaliers. Right now, it's reported that Darius Garland and Evan Mobley are going to be missing an extended period of time. With that being said, right now they're an average team. Right now they're just above 500 in the in the the hunt. They are in the, the play-in as of right now. But talk to me. The Cavaliers' situation right now, are better days to come for the Cavaliers or... Could this be a step in the direction of Donovan Mitchell, unfortunately, not returning back? I feel like it's very hard to ask Donovan Mitchell to now shoulder the offensive load for the Cavaliers with Garland out. They're 24th in offensive rating. They're 8th in defensive rating. But really that offensive rating number sticks out because they just have two players offensively that you can rely on, and that's Garland and that's Donovan Mitchell. Even with the moves they made in the offseason, getting Max Struess and getting Niang, those are good players, but those are good players once you already have an infrastructure in place. If you are relying on both of them to be your main floor spacers to make it easier on your guys on offense, that's asking a lot. So I look at this Cavaliers team. Evan Mobley is going to be out multiple weeks with a knee injury. He's getting anthroscopic surgery. Darius Garland is going to be sidelined multiple weeks with a jaw injury that he had versus the Celtics in a collision with KP. They have lost three straight games. They're 12 and 13 through 25 games. I think people should start panicking about the Cavaliers because Darius Garland, since Donovan Mitchell has got into town, he has not improved that much from a statistical standpoint. He has not broken out the way that he should, and that's because of the responsibilities that now get placed on Mitchell as a ball handler. Evan Mobley is still not developing like how you want him to on the offensive side of the ball. Jared Allen is kind of what he is. But really, this roster is just that. This is four players, I would say five counting Max Shoes, that are actually good. Without those two, you're talking about a starting lineup of Mitchell, Lavert, Shrews, Dean Wade, and Jared Allen, with the two role players being George Niang and Isaac Okoro. This just isn't a good basketball team. If the East was a little bit stronger, I would say I think they missed the playoffs, but I think they can stay afloat for a little bit in the East until they get back because the East is so weak, even though it's getting stronger. But this team feels like a playing team to me. And you look back to the trade they made for Donovan Mitchell, you had bigger aspirations. And I think we're starting to look at Mitchell as being a mistake in terms of the Cavs trading for him because he's not going to get you to where you want to go. And that's why I feel like moving forward, a lot of teams will be more hesitant on trading for 6-1 scoring guards who are good playmakers but not great or elite playmakers and don't elevate your offense to a top 10 status. I think Mitchell got a lot of hype and headlines because he had some fantastic playoff performances. But as a player, to raise a ceiling, I don't think he's that. Where we look at Rudy Gobert in Minnesota, 
And he's doing that for them. He's raising their ceiling because of what he offers defensively. The numbers for Mitchell are great. He's seventh in the league in scoring. But for this team, it's just an odd fit. And there aren't a ton of teams in the NBA that need a 6-1 scoring guard because I think a lot of teams have scoring cover that are at least top contenders. I wouldn't be shocked if the Cavs maybe decide to part ways with Mitchell if they don't get a long-term commitment because right now, Mitchell can be a free agent uh, in a year and a half. And if I'm the Cavs, if I traded that much for him, I want to know that he's bought in long-term before you know I decide to keep him long-term. Yeah, and if you don't, at least you have a chance to recoup some of those assets when sure. you get the entire package that you once gave up for Mitchell. Who knows? But Joel mentioned how there's only a handful of reliable players on this Cavs team, and two of their reliable players being Jared Allen and Evan Mobley. The team is better off when there's only one big on the court. You look at their their best starting fives, it's either Allen or Mobley. When they're both on the court, they're not as effective. So now you have a limited amount of good players that you trust, and two of them can't even play together because the offense and, and the spacing of everything just doesn't really work out. The Cavs, it, it did feel like after they lost to the Knicks in the first round last season, where they went in, they went into the matchup as favorites, slight favorites. It wasn't anything crazy, but they were expected, at least in Vegas's eyes, to win that series. And for the most part, they got dominated. For right? sure. I, no, they I, got it, dominated in all regards. It did not feel like a series where we're a Max Struess away. No. We're just one or two pieces away, and we could be in it and get out of the first round. They got dominated in that Knicks series, and it, it felt like there needed to be bigger changes for them to move on, um, at least in the playoff setting. But the fact of the matter is they don't really have the ability to make a lot of moves. I yep. mean, your core is pretty much set if you want to keep these two bigs. I would have been looking to move at least one of them, probably being Jared Allen. I think we all agree that Evan Mobley is going to be more valuable down the line. Moving off Jared Allen, upgrading other pieces, whether it's on the bench or on the wing, get some more shooting um, and perimeter defense there because you have your big set with Evan Mobley. It feels a bit redundant. You know, with Evan Mobley, it feels a bit redundant to have him and Jared Allen on the same team. So you lose that Knicks series, you get some chatter in the offseason about Donovan Mitchell potentially wanting to trade at this trade deadline. And the season has been so up and down for them. They started off like two and five. They won four or five games in a row. Then they went on this losing streak, winning streak, and they've now lost the last three games, uh, two to Boston, one to the Magic. So against some good teams, but now we're sitting at 500 and two of your best players are going to be out several weeks. It feels like probably two months for both these guys. And shout out to Garland because he broke his jaw and came back in and played like 15 minutes at the end of the game. Didn't even know what happened. He played through that. Um, but the fact that you've kind of heard this chatter already from Donovan Mitchell, it doesn't make me feel great that as the season goes on with these injuries, the team's probably going to get worse, right? It's just the fact of the matter is they're losing two of their best players. So if the season continues to get worse, one, will Donovan Mitchell want to stay there long term? The makeup of the team does feel like it has to change. I love Garland. Is he the perfect fit next to Donovan Mitchell? I'm not sure. And having those two bigs, like I mentioned, probably should move off one of them. And then do the Cavs look at this saying, this is a season that's going to get lost. If we're at the trade deadline, 10 games under 500, what's the point of just trying it one more season, which will really be for a half a season next year? Because if by the trade deadline next year, you're not playing well, Mitchell has to go because you can't just lose him in free agency and not get back any assets. So you really are relying probably on this next month or two of games where if you're going to be struggling, it's probably better to bottom out, get some first round picks back, and then you can make moves in the offseason to go towards more of a rebuild. They have some young pieces you like, 
Garland and Evan Mobley is a pretty strong starting point for a rebuilding team. It's unfortunate that you gave up all of these assets and all you have to show is probably it's going to be one playoff series where you got your ass handed to you. But I think in the, in the long term, look at the Cavs organization. It might be the best move to move off Mitchell if you can continue playing around 500 or worse basketball. The Donovan Mitchell move in hindsight was a big mistake. I say that with the idea of we understand that Donovan Mitchell is one of the more talented players in the league, one of the better shooting guards in the game. But at the same time, it has hindered the development of a Darius Garland, has hindered the development of an Evan Mobley. And I say that because Garland, in the season that the Cavaliers were able to make the play in, and the game that we saw versus the Nets, he was able to put on a show when tit for tat with a Kyrie Irving just came up a little short in Brooklyn, and then also losing to the Hawks in, in a pretty ch- big choke job uh, of the of the Cavaliers. But we saw Darius Garland start to ascend into one of the better point guards in the game. But when you add Donovan Mitchell now, it takes the ball out of his hands, and now the offense runs through Donovan as opposed to running through Garland, who was the young piece that started to turn this in the right direction. Now, people look at Evan Mobley as the guy who started to turn it in that direction because of his defensive impact, and that's very fair to say. But people also had the idea that Evan Mobley would one day turn into this Anthony Davis-type player, and we'll we'll start to see his offensive game start to develop. At this point in time, that's becoming... A long shot. Offensively, I don't know if he has the capabilities to stretch the floor like that. I don't I don't know if we'll ever see his aggressiveness be that to to what people wanted it or thought it could be. You say redundant with with Jared Allen. I understand where you're coming from because of their their builds, but when you look at Mobley on the defensive side, he's able to to also extend out to the perimeter where it's similar to a Jaron Jackson and a Steven Adams where Steven Adams' role is to protect the paint, be that shot blocker, get rebounds. That's kind of Jared Allen's role at this point where we see Evan Mobley stretch out also be a very strong presence down low too, but he has versatility there, which is why I I'm still on the side of keeping Jared Allen just because he can also just be that extra presence down low. It's just offensively, though. You're 100% right. You are 100% right in that regard. That's not Mobley because we, we thought that a lot of people coming into that draft saying he doesn't have it now, but he could you know kind of grow into that. Now, people are going to look at it right now and say, well, how can you be blaming Donovan Mitchell when Garland's the one that's going to be out for some time and Evan Mobley's also dealing with injuries too? Now, I say in hindsight because you gave up how many first-round picks? Five. Lori Markinen on top of it, too, who only blossomed after leaving the Cleveland Cavaliers, and that's pretty unfortunate for Cavaliers fans, but at the same time, we live in hindsight. This is just the truth. And you were a first-round exit, so you traded for you traded Lori Markinen. You traded five first-round picks to make it actually into the playoffs this time, but win the same amount of playoff series, which was zero. And now, a year removed from that, you guys are back in playing contention that you were with Darius Garland and Evan Mobley as the two best players on your team. So to me, I'm looking at this move from Don, uh, from the Cleveland Cavaliers trading for Donovan Mitchell in 2023 in hindsight as a mistake to the Cavaliers. They need to do everything they can to try and get rid of Mitchell so that they have some kind of pieces to look forward to in the future because there's no doubt in my mind Donovan Mitchell is trying to walk away from the Cleveland Cavaliers. He's trying to get himself on another team, whether that's the New York Knicks, whether that's the Miami Heat. He, I don't see a future where Donovan Mitchell is long-term committed to the Cleveland Cavaliers, especially if they don't make any type of noise come playoff time. 
Joel, do you want your Knicks to finally make that move? A spider. Absolutely. I still want the Knicks to make that move, and I think the Knicks will make the move. Mm. Uh, a couple of days ago, I saw Woj put out a report that the Knicks are very much in the hunt to get a star-level player. They want to take that next step in the Eastern Conference. I'm still not the biggest fan of a small backcourt, but I think the offense would be so Insane. amazing with Brunson oh, and Donovan Mitchell that I think you take the swing. And if there's this, if there's a swing to be had, it's with Donovan Mitchell. He wants to be in New York. He's always wanted to be on the Knicks. Danny Ainge didn't want to trade him to the Knicks because there's some, mm-hmm. there's some friction there. But if I'm New York, R.J. Barrett goes 100%. I mean, R.J. Barrett. He just loves uh, throwing R.J. Barrett in trades. Knicks fans, Knicks fans after a hot 10, 15 Don't do this. Respect R.J., please. He's breaking out. He's R.J. Hate when he does this. Hate when he does this. slowing down again. I know R.J. Barrett. That's why. You do. I know who he is. I know he's inconsistent. I know what he is and what he isn't. And what he isn't is a star in this league. Mm. He's not good enough to be a star, and his fit with other stars is very odd. So if I'm the Knicks, I'll call up the Cavs, and I'll say, I'll give you R.J. Barrett, and if that's not good enough, I'll give you Quentin Grimes. So I'd give Ooh. them R.J. I'd give Damn, Grimes. you're willing to give up QG. A couple picks in there, too, no? A couple bad games, a couple bad months of no basketball picks. from QG. No, you need to give up picks. Of course, picks will okay. be given okay. up. Quentin Grimes is frustrated with his role on the Knicks. I think if he goes to the Cavs, now Cleveland would have an amazing defender, a player who can space the floor and can also create off the dribble, which is something that he hasn't been able to show off with New York. And then R.J. Barrett can be your starting three. And I think that's fine because right now it's a – Really, it's just they're trying to see who goes out there, whether it's a Kuro or Max Schuess or whoever else. I think if RJ goes there, he can be your starting three. And now you have something solid and you have picks for the future. And you don't have to worry about Donovan Mitchell wanting out in a year and a half. So that's, I think, the move that the Knicks can make. And I think it's good for both teams. You know, I think Mitchell at this point... It's too much stress that comes with him if you're the Cavaliers. It's just too much right now. Because there's expectations. When you traded for Donovan Mitchell, your expectation now was to win playoff series, to contend for the Eastern Conference. Now, if you looked at the Cavaliers, you should have known that they still were their ways away because they were a young, developing team. But like I already said, with Donovan Mitchell, it hinders the offensive development because he he deservedly has the ball in his hands a lot. But these pieces that you put around Donovan that you thought that could succeed with Donovan haven't been able to trend in the direction that they were trending towards before him because they were they are still young in this development process and because the ball needs to be in Donovan Mitchell's hands because he's very obviously the best offensive player. But he's not helping their three-point shooting. They're still one of the worst three-point shooting teams in the league. He's on eight attempts, I think shooting just under 35% as well. So to me... He also is a piece of the problem to them as well, but at the same time, they could do a better job of surrounding him with better offensive talent. Their identity is primarily defense, but when you have such a great offensive talent in a, a Donovan Mitchell, the the expectation was that it was supposed to be Garland and Mobley to take this inevitable jump. But since they haven't, and now they're also injured at this point, it's tough sledding for the Cleveland Cavaliers, and I, I only see them getting out of this hole by trading Donovan Mitchell and trying to get better pieces 
to build around for the future. It'd be an interesting fit if he ended up with New York. You have Jalen Brunson there, so you still like Joel Mitchell. It's like a, a Garland. Smaller. It's a Garland Mitchell yeah, combination. Kind of like uh-huh. I, Brunson, I think, is a better player he than is. Darius Garland, but you do kind of have uh, maybe the same issues, at least in the playoffs, and where you have a smaller backcourt, um, two guys that are primarily scorers, and then of course you have Julius Randle there too, who is obviously going to demand the ball a ton. Yep. Um, that's the main way he's going to score. That would be a. It's it, it sounds good in theory, but I think the fit could get a little clunky too in New York. Fair enough. Now let's move on to the last topic of the show. We're going to talk about football real quick because some big news happened yes, after Thursday night football Finally. and news that we were all were expecting. Brandon Staley and Tom Telesco were fired after last night's horrendous showing of football where the Las Vegas Raiders put up 63 points on a defensive-minded head coach, Brandon Staley. So he was fired, and this is something that we are anticipating. But now, what are we to to make of the Chargers situation going forward? I know that we have spoken about it previously. How do we fix the Chargers? But talk to me. What's your first reaction, Mr. Dells, after hearing the news that Brandon Staley's got? Long overdue. Correct. Long overdue. Telesco as well got let go. He missed on some contracts, some picks. But, I mean, to his defense, you know, Brandon Staley's probably like, go get me J.C. Jackson. I'll be able to turn him into a great corner to work out. So it was, it was really on both of them. But it felt like almost every loss over this last month, six weeks six weeks of the season, is like Brandon Staley's going to get fired. Brandon Staley's going to get fired. Whether, whether it's losing close games, um, issues that he has either with on the defensive side of the ball because that is supposed to be what he is great at and it's been one of the worst defenses in all of football. The fact that the Raiders can get shut out and drop 60 on you the next week on a short week just three or four days later, Brand Saley might have to take a, a positions job. I don't even know if he's going to get what a Rex decent Ryan job. Said? What he said? He said he should go back to coaching Division three football because oh that's where he belongs. <laughs> now, Rex is funny. Uh, but this, I, I kind <laughs> of have... You laughing yeah, in the background. Yeah, I, I, I have conflicting... <laughs> Thoughts on the Chargers, the job opening? Because on one hand, you have Justin Herbert. There's not too many times where a job opening comes up where you have a franchise quarterback. Yep. I think of Aaron Rodgers when uh, McCarthy gets let go and LaFleur comes in. But there's not a lot of times where you have someone set in stone that you know is an absolute stud at that position. Yep. So the coach is going to look at that and saying that's great. But then you look at the rest of the roster, a ton of work needs to be done. We sure. talked at length about the issues on this team with their weapons, Austin Eckler and Keenan Allen both getting up there in eight, getting up there in age, although Keenan this season's having a career year. Quentin Johnson has been disappointing, and there's really no other weapons you trust there. Josh Palmer's a fine kind of wide receiver three, wide receiver four. And defensively, you have a lot of names, but they haven't really been living up to it. You look nope. at Dur- Duran James, he's been uh, rated as one of the worst safeties in the NFL this season. I do think that has some to do with Staley and how he's using him, but you see him just straight up missing tackles sometimes. Yep. That's not scheme. That's out there in execution. Khalil Mack is having a bit of a resurgence in terms of total sacks, um, but he's getting up there in age, and he has a huge cap number next year because they've been restructuring restructuring deals, restructuring deals, and now they're, what, $45 million over the cap next season. You have your draft pick, so it's really going to show how much does a coach value having that franchise quarterback because that is set in stone, but there's a lot of work to be done on this roster. If I'm the Chargers, there's no way I even consider the idea of trading Herbert. There are teams that would do absolutely anything to have a quarterback like that. He would, he would immediately go to certain situations and be their best quarterback that they've ever had. Yeah, easily. So if you look at, at at the Chargers situation on the defensive side of the ball, in terms of contracts also, forget about defense for a sec, sorry. 
Let's talk about contracts and how they have the most dead money going into next season. Over $20 million. More than the and Saints? I think they do have more than the Saints, which is saying something. So when you look at all the dead contract or dead money that they that they have on their team, you look at the bad contracts that they've given out. You look at the lack of personnel on the defensive side of the ball where I'm really talking about the secondary because they consistently get gashed. There's no way you can tell me that Aiden O'Connell should go in against you guys four touchdowns, a near-perfect game, and and goes and blows you out the way that the, the Vegas Raiders did. So Staley most definitely needed to get fired, and there needs to be a new culture setter there, someone that's actually going to go out there and execute the extra nose on the defensive side of the ball. Because offensively, I think that as long as you have a Justin Herbert, it would be in your best interest to go out there and get him an, another wide receiver because Mike Will has struggled with injury. Like you said, Keenan Allen is getting up there in age. QG, QJ is definitely, is definitely still early in his process. I think that he can still develop into an average to maybe slightly above at the absolute best at this current point where we're seeing him in his early career. But you have Herbert. That offense has been able to do a fine enough job to put points on the board. It's the defense that needs help. And there already was a report that the favorite to go and and land that starting job, or excuse me, that head coaching gig, is Bill Belichick. Because after we, we already got reports that New England's trending in the direction of letting him go, as a Bronco fan, I'm in misery hearing this. You would rather them get Belichick than uh, Ben Johnson? Or who would you rather? I would I, rather them get Ben Johnson. I, okay, because I want them to get an offensive coach. Belichick would be great, but I, I would no, really like no, them to get an no, offensive no. coach. If they get Belichick, this is a team that's going to compete for for playoff wins because immediately the defense gets such a boost. That's you look true. at the names on the, the, the Patriots. There's no one that absolutely blows you away. It's the scheme. It's the X's and O's. There's nobody that does it better on defensive side of the ball than Bill. You bring him over to the Chargers that they're right now a bottom four defense in terms of yards allowed per game. There's no way that I can see or I can't see Belichick coming in and immediately making an impact for the better. And with Herbert, I understand that that's been a huge knock on Belichick recently. Offensively, you haven't been able to execute and, and put pieces around your quarterback to have him succeed. Well, to to, Bell, to Bill's defense, he hasn't had a quarterback since Brady, of course, like a Herbert. Mm-hmm. So he wouldn't have to worry too much about the offensive side because obviously Herbert's going to be able to do a job. He would just be in there to fix the defense, and there's nobody better that would be available this next offseason than Bill Belichick, the greatest coach in NFL history. So there will be... There are answers to fixing this solution, to, to fixing this problem, excuse me, and it could happen sooner than later, and the charges are, are where we're looking at them right now and we're laughing. We could not be laughing around this time next year because of the head coach that can be available next year. I like Bill Belichick to the Chargers, but I am also not going to blindly put my faith in him given what I've seen in New England. The defense always plays great. I kind of disagree with the personnel part. I think he has some great players on that defense. Kyle Duggar being one of my favorite safeties in the league, he's an awesome player. They're very versatile. The problem with the Chargers is that they have little room to improve, and the improvements are going to have to come from the draft. You mentioned the dead money. Most of that is J.C. Jackson. They're going to be over $40 million over the cap this offseason. And there are four notable players that have over $30 million cap hits. That's Khalil Mack, 
who is tied with the league lead in sacks. You have Joey Bosa, who can't stay healthy, Mike Will, who just got hurt, and Keenan Allen, who's aging. I think at least two of those players won't be on the Chargers next year. I wouldn't rule out three because I think Khalil Mack goes because he's older. I think Mike Will goes, and I think Joey Bosa goes. I think the only one you keep is Keenan Allen, and even then, he is aging. So we don't know how much longer he has playing at a very high level, and a $30 million cap hit is very steep. But in saying that, if you are bringing in Bill Belichick to a team that has no money to spend, defensive personnel is non-existent for the most part, and you have to rely on him to make great draft picks to improve your team. I mean, that's the reason why the Patriots haven't been able to be relevant now is that they don't draft well. So if you're counting on Belichick to draft well, I think there you run into an issue. So if they get Belichick, I think there's some excitement to be had. But there's just something with the Chargers that they're just a bad luck franchise and you don't really know what you're going to get. Even though the defense is terrible right now, I, I still think you need to maximize the offense. Rashawn Slater is, is awesome, even though he's gotten beat a couple times this year. Ever since Corey Lindsley went out their center, their offensive line has dropped off. I think you have three mainstays on the offensive line with Slater, Lindsley, and Zion Johnson. Trey Pipkins, the right tackle, is one of the worst in the league. And the receivers, well, who's going to be here after next season? You know, Keenan Allen is the only one that's good in Josh Palmer. You know, those are two all right. You know, those are two receivers. It's an all right receiving core. The backfield needs an overhaul because they might not bring back Eckler. Eckler might not be on the team next year, and he hasn't been very good either. So I think you need to attack this team with an offensive approach, even if it's going to take a hit to your defense. You have to make sure that every season, Justin Herbert at least has a chance offensively to win you games. And you need to have a, a great offensive coordinator that can help Herbert out because the defense is going to be hard to fix that. And if, if I have a franchise quarterback, if there's one area of my team that I want to invest in more, it'd be the offense over the defense. Yeah. That's why I would lean with Ben Johnson or Jim, uh, Jim Harbaugh from, uh, coming we know you're an Michigan offense. Stuff. I mean, look, look at the teams that are succeeding. It doesn't take They're a lot. It's, it, almost mm-hmm. all of them, 80, 90% of them are offensive coaches, offensive-minded head coaches, that is. Just the dynasty creator himself. I'm sorry. As long as he's around, you have to respect him, whether you like I, him or I not. I respect him. I think he'd, like, he would be one of my – he'd probably be my top three option, but I think uh, – I, I understand. Listen, I'm not going to be guys. ignorant to the idea that Ben Johnson wouldn't immediately make you horny for Justin Herbert in fantasy football, of course. Like, yeah, that's going to make you intrigued. But at the same time – if you're a Chargers fan, you want to play winning football, not just see Justin Herbert continue to be one of the best quarterbacks in the game. I'm not saying that Ben Johnson can't come in and, and change the, the Chargers in terms of playing winning football for years on, but at the same time, I say it where Bill will come in immediately. I do firmly believe this, that the defense will get right. You mentioned, you mentioned Derwin Maybe James, who's been struggling. Yeah. You give him, you give Bill Belichick Derwin James, he goes back to playing at an all-pro level. I firmly believe that. Uh, at the same time, where you mentioned Joey Bosa. He's been, unfortunately, not able to stay on the field. 
that definitely is one that would worry me because of the money that has been invested into Joey Bosa. But we know the difference maker that he is when he is on the field. A uh, Khalil Mack, that's going to be tough to, to keep around, although he's been solid. Uh, a lot of that is from that one game where he did have six sacks, also against the Jets there. He had a field day. Uh, he hasn't been playing bad this season, but that's a lot of money that is owed to him. So I, I see the potential that is the, the Los Angeles Chargers what Bill Belichick has been able to do with this team with the New England Patriots on the defensive side of the ball. When it comes to drafting defense, Bill Belichick has near no misses. But offensively, that's where you do have your concerns. And I think that that's where, if you're bringing Bill Belichick along for the ride, I don't know if you make him the GM also. That would not be in the Chargers' best interest. Probably bring in somebody that also can oversee and make good decisions for the offense because, like we said, he's struggled to do that with New England. But I'm not saying Ben Johnson would be a bad move. I just think their biggest issue by far has been defense these last two seasons. And they tried to fix that hole with Brandon Staley, a defensive-minded head coach. But you would be getting no better replacement than the greatest ever in Bill Belichick. Yeah, I mean, anyone would be a replacement over Brandon Staley. For sure. You know, they, they listen, they had a chance to... They had a chance <laughs> Jalen to Ramsey, Aaron Donald. They made Brandon Staley yeah, honestly, a million. Because he, he was a coordinator for one year. He has, I want to say, five years of pro experience yep. coaching at the NFL level. Um, but yeah, you go on that historic run, you know, with the with the LA Rams, and you're you're gonna get a job, For sure. you know. So uh, I'm still on the side. If it was up to me, I would go the offensive route, get the offensive coach. Um, but listen, it's going to be hard for the Chargers organization if they have a chance to hire Bill Belichick. You have someone of that stature, that legacy um, to turn them down because it's someone that you could very easily sell to fans, to ticket holders. Like, listen, we just got the best coach of all Hell time. Yeah. Now we're going to get it right. So I do from at least uh, uh, you know that perspective understand that. A lot right. of cutoffs are going to be worn over there in L.A. A ton of cutoffs. A ton of cutoffs. All right, but that's going to do it from us over here at Pick Aside, episode 335. Uh, Mr. If, Drew, we still have some Super Chats here. I, I'll tell you what, that's my biggest Bro flaw in, in hosting. I swear, and whenever... One we, is important because Santos goes, is that a new hoodie Dells is wearing? Mm. I'll tell you what, it is a new hoodie. Listen, we're, we're still working with our manufacturers, trying to make sure, sure that everything is perfect and sound for, for when reason, we actually man. do drop. But the drop is coming very soon. You guys will get notice of it probably on our Twitter. Most likely on the podcast, we'll be able to announce when we're going to finally drop the merch. But yes, this is the prototype. It's comfy, man. It looks pretty damn great. Joel, I got to say, you're looking mighty handsome with that hoodie thank, on. Thank you, my brother. It really brings up my eyes. All right, let's read some other Super Chats while I, I apologize to you guys while I folded there. Uh, Ricky says, give me one player that y'all want to see traded. And I know he's talking about the Mavericks. Hmm. Of course, it has to be Laurie Market. I think that's on the top of the list. I mean, nobody really wants to see Zach Levine get traded. I mean, I want to see Donovan Mitchell get traded. I want to see D. Mitch shake up the league Mitchell a little bit. Be That'd be tough. You know who I want to get? Who, who I want to see get traded? T.J. McConnell. T.J. McConnell. How do you baby. How do you fucking know? Come on, T.J. McConnell. <laughs> uh, Daniel says, "I love your guys' show. Please keep up the good work." Hey, Listen, Daniel. We're gonna be here, Daniel. Appreciate you. We're gonna try our damnedest to to keep putting out the best product. Some of us, at least can. three of us, I could I could stamp that. Mm. Mm. I'm gonna say not great. But that's going to do it from us over here at Pick a Side. Listen, you guys know what's up with prize picks. If you guys go ahead, enter our enter our giveaway. Use code PAS. Show us a screenshot that you did use our code. You are immediately entered into our giveaway. 
The prize picks will match up to $100, 100% of that. And so, again, use code PAS. Get your picks in and support Pick Aside. You know we love you guys, and this is your way of supporting us more so than you guys already do. We appreciate all the love you guys show us. If you guys made it this far, please go ahead and like the stream. It helps us out a ton. If you aren't already subscribed to the channel, come on, what are you doing? Subscribe to the channel. Turn Join on the, the notification bell. Join the Patreon. Joel tells you every single time. Every episode, it's man. only a dollar. And you got an extra episode a week. You get to hear us talk shit an with each other an half. extra time a week. I mean, it feels like a steal to me. Only $1. I would definitely jump on that while I can. And that's going to do it from us over here at Pick Aside. We'll see you guys next time.